0: Well hello there, welcome to The Strange and Deadly Show, brought to you by the internet's two most enthusiastic horror podcasters, yes, and also <laughs> gentlemen's GrindhouseRecords.com, of course. On this show, we discuss films on the Section 3 list related to the video nasties. We pair up our films every fortnight based on a theme. Lately, we've been quite good at sticking to that schedule. Now, you can find out more information about all of our old podcasts, um, any of our podcasts, in fact, not just the old ones, over at uh, Gentlemen'sGrindhouseRecords.com, Records.com, and you can subscribe on iTunes and via any podcatcher you might be using. We'll give you that information again, and also tell you how you can get your feedback and comments over to us at the end of the show. So here we are. I am Chris Clayton. Of course, you know me. You also know the man who I regularly podcast with. Who's there?
1: This is Tom Elliott.
0: The internet's Tom Elliott, uh, host of the Twilight Zone podcast, arguably the most popular man on the internet. <laughs>
1: arguably. Yes, there's some arguments against that, probably several.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Is there really? How have you been, my friend?
1: I'm good, I'm good. It's been a uh, you know, bit of time off, got a Twilight Zone podcast out there, which a few people will be happy about. Um, And uh, yeah, just been enjoying this week off, playing a bit of PlayStation, chilling out, catching up on c- some TV. So how about you?
0: Yeah, uh, not, not as good as you. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't been having a great time lately. I've been quite unwell, having um, pains and migraines and shivers and shakes and uh, I must be coming down with something. So, just been dealing with that so I'm a little bit croaky now and again and I'm not, um, you know, I don't think my energy levels are as high as I'd like them to be but I'm going to give it a good old go, don't you worry. What have you been playing on the PlayStation, old boy?
1: Well, we've spoke about this game before and it's, it's in fitting with a horror podcast but the game The Last of Us.
0: Oh, dear, dear. Um, but, but uh Tom, it won't be any surprise to you because we've spoken about it privately. But my favorite game of all time,
1: really. Uh-huh. I I I know you held it in high regards. I didn't know it was that high regard, but I'll be honest with you. I I can only play it for short bits, bits at a time because it stresses me out too much. You know, right. it's like I I like a romp. You know, I've been playing Infamous uh, Second Son lately, and that's a bit of a romp. But The Last of Us it's so harrowing, isn't it? You know, and it's yeah. so nerve wracking when you're trying to navigate a room full of zombies and those clicker things. It stresses me out. So <laughs> sometimes Yeah, it's it's dark, isn't it? Yeah, I'll I'll start playing at night and then I'll walk into a room and you can you know, you do that hearing thing and you can hear that there's loads of clickers about. And I just think, oh fuck it, I'll play Minecraft for a bit instead, <laughs> you know, so <laughs> it's gonna be a bit of an ordeal this one
0: oh no i was hoping that you'd um you know it would grab you because i i personally think that the characters in that game and it does fit into i mean it is a, a horror game more or less mm. um it's made by the same made by naughty dog this is not a gaming podcast by the way folks but it, it's made by uh naughty dogs the same company that make the uncharted games which are very different they are more of a romp actually mm. if you pick up the uncharted collection that just came out on ps4 time i think you'll have a brilliant time with those those are very cinematic but almost like action films that um that play out but um the last of us is is you know fits into more of a horror mold and i just think that the characters in it are some of the most brilliantly realized ones of any game i've ever played you know yeah yeah um, but it 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 does it's emotionally taxing for sure <laughs> i'll stick
1: with it though don't get me wrong you know for um i don't know maybe i'm just getting a bit old i remember you Know Resident Evil and stuff back in the day, I used to revel in all that stuff, but now it's just
0: like, oh god, there's a room full of them,
1: you know. But I'll, I'll get there, I'll get there.
0: Good times. Well, I'm glad anyway that you're playing it because it, like I say, it's uh, after I played the first couple of hours, I thought, you know, this is okay, I, I'm enjoying it. And by the end of it, I didn't want it to end because I didn't want to have to say goodbye to those characters. Mm-hmm. So it's, um, is, uh, it's an interesting experience. The, the long, the, the more you get on with it, I'll be interested to see. How, you know, as the story develops, what what you think of it? Maybe we'll revisit the subject again on a future episode.
1: Possibly, possibly, but you know, the next month we have got F- Fallout Four coming out, and I know that me and you are going to be, you know, digging into that one big time. So if there's a delay to the Strange and Deadly show, that'll probably be why
0: it'll be on tom's side because yes i mean you know i'm gonna dig into fallout 4 but i'm gonna wait a couple of months oh yeah uh, which is yeah just because it's a bethesda game mm. and bethesda games tend to be very buggy when they first launch, just because it's so huge you know there's yeah. just so many different ways that th- that b- bugs turn up so i normally as hard as it is for me and believe me it's difficult when skyrim came out i waited about six months which is you know it's a very difficult thing for me to do because i'm such a big fan of them mm. but um Awaited and then by then they've solved a lot of the sort of critical bugs because the last thing I want is to play for about eight hours and then there's a quest that I can't solve mm. um, or something like that. So yeah, I'm going to wait for a couple of months. But yeah, if, if this if I'm just talking to myself on this show for a couple <laughs> of episodes, it will be because Tom, you know, Tom's caught up on his PS4. Yeah,
1: yeah. So have you been up to anything, mate, while you've been laying there in in your sick bed?
0: Apart from you know watching a few things on the iPad and stuff, not really. You know, uh, watching a few. Uh catching up on Fear the Walking Dead. Did you watch any of that?
1: You know what? I haven't seen an episode of it yet. Is it is it
0: worth it? It's okay. You know, the first couple of episodes are good and then they they do something where, you know, I don't want to offer spoilers really. They do something where they have this sort of big open world. Obviously Fear the Walking Dead is set before the events of the Walking Dead, Mm. the main show. And whereas the main show is based on the comics Fear the Walking Dead is based on the theme of the comics, but is otherwise completely new characters and and sort of a new, a new setting. And, um, they sort of do something after the first couple of episodes where they get everybody trapped into one very small location. Mm. And so what happens is it, re- it sort of reduces the expansiveness of what that could have been. And then there's, there's a lot of sort of bad character moments that happen that I didn't quite like. The last episode of it, though, is 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 quite good, and I think there's a lot of potential there for it. But I suppose the problem I have with it is that, you know, I'm a big fan of The, of the Walking Dead, but I have, and I think you would probably agree with me on this as well, we've seen so many zombie movies. Yeah. You know, I've grown up loving zombie movies. And I have seen all of this stuff before, you know. Mm. So it, it, I find it quite difficult to be emotionally impacted by what I've seen on Fear the Walking Dead. You know, zombie Im- invasions and breaking into a building and everybody having to scatter and try to survive. You know, I've, I would imagine if you Because these shows, I would imagine, appeal to more of a sort of casual viewer, somebody who maybe is not that much of a horror fan. And so these things would be very shocking to people. But to somebody like myself... I'm just like okay. I mean, I've sort of seen all this stuff before, so it, it it's okay, you know. Yeah. It's okay. I the the main show is back now, and I watched the the first episode of season six, and you know that that's good. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, Fear the Walking Dead not essential, but you know, you never know. You never know. They it may grow into something interesting. But I mean, how many times can we see, you know, a drama that happens to involve zombies? I suppose that's my thing. It feels a little bit like they're cashing in on it.
1: Yeah. 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 You, you know, you're right. It's like. Okay, you find somewhere, you hole up there, zombies get in, people argue with each other, people are the real enemy, not the zombie, you know what I mean? It's like we have seen it all before. And The Walking Dead kind of repeats these things as well, coming to a new community, you know, can you trust them, can you not trust them, et cetera, et cetera. And they've done each one just different enough that it keeps me interested, you know what I mean? It's a good show, but a second show... Yeah, I'm I'm not too sure, but I'll give it a shot
0: yeah i mean to be honest with you since i saw daredevil most things sort of pale in comparison to it really yeah. and it was the same thing with breaking bad you know once i saw breaking bad which i'm a huge fan of there are just certain things that i think stand out because of their originality mm. i think the walking dead what what really makes it stand out for me is that the characters by this point most of the characters I don't always get it right but most of the characters are quite well fleshed out mm-hmm. i think that's why you're invested because you want to see what happens to rick and and carl and michonne and characters like this but uh, yeah it, it's you know, it's not it's not uh, breaking any new ground, really, is it? But, they're you know, they're still entertaining shows. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay, well, I will check that out. But
1: before I check out Fear the Walking Dead, there's a few slasher films that we need to get through. And that's going to be the theme of this week's episode. And, you know, it occurred to me while I was watching these and thinking about what we're going to be watching next time, there's certain tiers of slasher film, isn't there? You've got ones right up there your halloweens your friday the 13th you've got your sort of middle ground ones which we'll probably be looking at next time your uh, is it prom night we're looking at next time
0: yeah prom night and the prowler
1: Prom night and the prowler ones that maybe just aren't as high profile as halloween and friday the 13th but they're sort of middling and then you've got these two (laughs) so (laughs) we really are going from uh Top to, to bottom because these ones they're pretty obscure, aren't they?
0: Yeah, I mean, we're scraping the bottom of the barrel here, Tom, you know. <laughs> um, and 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 rightly so, when you uh you listen to what we've got to say about them, yeah, you know, never mind Fear the Walking Dead, you'd be fearful of these two cinematic gems, Tom. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's, it's it's interesting. It's, I mean, I guess it's the same of all genres, really. You've got the ones that are you know in, in the upper tiers there, and then you've got The ones that are right down near the bottom. And I would say that these two definitely meet that criteria. And, yeah, Prom Night and The Prowler, I would say more on the middle tier Mm. of slashes, if you want to say that. I mean, it's like any uh, genre or subgenre that becomes very popular. Um, They just end up recycling ideas and, you know, pumping out as many of them as possible. And that's what happened in the early 80s, really post-Halloween and especially post-Friday the 13th they were just hammering these films out in, in many different countries and because you know really because it, it was sort of quite easy to make them the same as it is with zombie movies all you have to do is really get a killer uh, you don't have to show the killer's face a lot of the time sometimes you can sometimes all you have to do is put on a very crude mask and just you know get a bunch of young people out there in some sort of secluded area and pick them off one by one and uh, so as a result of that, you got a lot of films that were being made, and the truth is that I would say probably ninety percent of them weren't very good. And uh, here we have two examples of, of, you know, films that are very, very obscure, very difficult to get hold of. Uh, now, what's interesting is, you know, you're going to tell us about Home Sweet Home in a minute. There's a there's a website that I used to visit regularly because um, it's interesting. There's a a, a viewer who, um, oh sorry, not a viewer. We're not on television. There's a listener who uh, uh, named Amanda Reyes, I believe that's how you pronounce her name, who's, uh, we've got some feedback that we're going to read from her on the, uh, the end of the show. Mm. And uh, she posted on Facebook and I just want to sort of cherry pick one particular thing she said in there because she said that as far as she can remember, we're not fond of slasher movies, and I was quite curious as to where she got that from because I believe certainly in my case, Tom and I think for you I'm a big fan of slasher movies in fact, we had a whole episode that was dedicated to Friday the thirteenth yeah. um there was a period in my life where I pretty much you know when I was a teenager really getting up in towards my twenties where I really did nothing but watch slasher movies so i'm a you know quite a big fan of them. But I recognize that they're definitely oversaturated but anyway like I was like I was saying, not to drone on for too long about it. There's a website called hysteria lives. Yeah. Which is, um, really was, and probably still is the source of information on old slasher movies and reviews of them. And I remember reading a review of home sweet home. I didn't really, you know, I, I didn't really remember that until I started watching the film. And then I was like, Oh yes, I remember reading about this film. So it, it, it is, um, especially if you go on that website, hysteria I think it is, uh, you will be amazed if you're not really a fan of the slasher movie uh, how many films were actually made and a lot of them are, are pretty low grade aren't they?
1: I think what's going to be interesting for me looking at these films now is f- these are forgotten slashes to be honest you know and it's going to be interesting to see whether they deserve that. Do they deserve to just be forgotten in history you know or are they undiscovered gems like you know, the evil, which has come up in Mm -hmm. the past that we both enjoyed and think should have a higher profile. And the other thing is you kind of alluded to it there. There was a lot of people at the time thinking, I can do that. I can do a slasher movie. You know, all you need is a few people in one location and a killer, big guy, throw him in there, kill them all. That's all we need to do. Is it that easy to make a slasher movie? And I guess with these two, uh, we're going to find out. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, you know, I have to say that if you watch something like Halloween, for example, I mean, you do need, I think you do, in order to make a great slasher movie, you do need a little bit of cinematic finesse. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, John Carpenter had Dean Cundey, who was the cinematographer on that, who is a, is a brilliant cinematographer. And you got so many great shots in that. What you, what you're seeing here, really, especially with these two, are probably amateur filmmakers who are um, you know trying to put something together with not very much experience. But you get an amateur filmmaker. It's not a slasher film, but you get an amateur filmmaker like Sam Raimi when he made The Evil Dead, and you've got all these different sort of interesting because they didn't have very much money. They had to sort of come up with interesting ways to to um, to film certain sequences in in The Evil Dead, and. Uh, you, what you're looking for when you look for a great director, I think a great horror director is is somebody who has it, you know, is able to come up with a little bit of innovation and something with a bit of finesse to it. And so it's going to be interesting to see Tom when we review these if if the directors of these ones manage to uh, to do any of that. But why don't you tell us what the films actually are? Okay, we
1: have two, and the first one is called Home Sweet Home, and the other one is called Honeymoon Horror. So. Honeymoon horror, you can see the you know, maybe thinking about we've seen a lot lot of it before and we've spoke about it before. People latching on to events or, you know, holidays or something. So this one, they're going with honeymoons. Home sweet home. Oh man, that's uh that's got a very sort of tenuous um link within the movie. We'll talk about that as we get into it. But yeah, they're the two movies. So shall I shall I crack on and tell us about Home Sweet Home?
0: Oh, please do, Tom.
1: I would love to. Okay. Home Sweet <laughs> home, home. Also known as Blood Party and Slasher in the House. Slasher in the House. <laughs> okay, now. Okay. It was released in 1981, <laughs> directed by Nettie Pina, written by Thomas Bush. <laughs> <So> <laughs> yeah, got... Penis and Bush.
0: <laughs> <Yeah>.
1: <laughs> okay. Oh, no. That's... Hopeful. okay there's an escaped mental patient No, oh, don't get me started okay
0: <clears throat> okay
1: there's an escaped mental patient on the loose and he's out for blood <laughs> <laughs> peanut and boy what the fuck
0: okay <laughs> all right <clears throat> do you I, I do you want me to leave any of this you in? you can leave it in a, if you want it's fine um, yeah <laughs>
1: Alright, there's an escaped mental patient on the loose and he's out for blood. We first meet the gurning madman, he certainly is, played by Jake Steinfeld, who's built like a bodybuilder, when he assaults and chokes an unassuming man and steals his car. On the radio, we hear details about the man's escape, having been incarcerated many years ago for killing his parents. He injects PCP into his tongue revving up his homicidal tendencies even further and then drives off in search of more victims. Of course, he spots an old woman crossing the road with her shopping and swiftly runs her (laughs) over. Jesus. (laughs) Gleefully driving off with her blood splattered all over the windscreen. There's a gathering going on at the Bradleys. It's It's Thanksgiving and their rural house is attended by members of their family and friends. Scott brings his new girlfriend out to the house though seemingly can't resist his carnal desires we meet a number of characters here including guitar obsessed paul stanley wannabe mistake oh god his father bradley and girlfriend lisa and beer obsessed wayne and his potential latin girlfriend maria bradley's young daughter angel is also at the house ready for tonight's meal unbeknownst to the house dwellers however is the presence of our mental patient who happens upon the house and the local area. He cuts the power and phone line, leaving everyone vulnerable. Nevertheless, various members of the group head out on various trips, be it to the store to get booze or to the gas station. The first member of the group to bite the dust is Amiel Bradley, who is hoping to steal a battery from an abandoned car. With much of his body inside the front of the car looting the battery, the killer jumps on the hood, crushing Bradley (laughs) to death. It's the first of many deaths as the killer soon stalks and kills members of the group one by one. Whether he's stabbing Gail in the face with a broken bottle or electrocuting mistake with his electric guitar, the killer shows no mercy and rarely speaks. He simply laughs. And so it falls to Jennifer and Scott, who are protecting Angel, to fend off the mad killer as he seeks to enter the home and claim his final victims.
2: Oh you were gone forever. It's alright now. Okay, sweetheart. We're perfectly safe. If Mistake killed Maria I'm sure he's still running. In the morning I'll talk to the police and the whole thing will be over.
3: I know. But what if he didn't kill her? What if there's somebody else running around out there?
2: Well, who else could even find this
3: place? Remember, the power's been off seven hours. I know. But the mistake just didn't seem as though he could hurt a fly.
2: Well, he was trying to make it with an older woman. Maybe he got frustrated.
3: Mm-hmm. Maybe it was an accident, too.
2: <clears throat> I don't know. I just wish someone would get back
3: here with my car. I want to get away from this place. Oh. Me too. (laughs) Oh, me too. I have to go to the bathroom. I'm not
2: leaving this fire.
3: Honey, you just went to the bathroom. I
2: have to go to the bathroom. It's okay, sweetheart. I'll take you. But it's dark down there. You sure you won't be scared? So much for trying to talk her
4: out of it. Take her, but don't spend the night there.
1: So, Chris, um, I can't wait to hear what you think of Home Sweet Home. Go.
0: (laughs) Well, what can I say about this? First of all, I wonder how I do it. I wonder how I managed to write such a serious sounding synopsis for these movies, some of these daft ones. It's a good job you do it
1: because I couldn't do it. I couldn't get that much plot out of it, to be honest. (laughs) But go on.
0: No, well, that you see that a lot of people probably don't know. That's what I've struggled with sometimes on some of these movies mm-hmm. that we've covered in the past, and this one is how do you manage to scrape that much plot out of it? You know, I probably wrote more of a script than they did. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, home sweet home. <laughs> I mean, it's what what a what an interesting experience it was to watch this one. First of all, we got a killer who. Like most people have been saying, you're gonna hear it in the feedback, it looks a bit like Lou Ferrigno. Yeah. Laughs like SpongeBob SquarePants. <laughs> uh it's a remarkable daft presence in the movie. I mean look, to give you a general overview before we get into all the details of it, I'm laughing along. Um I didn't li- I didn't like the movie very much. I found it to be quite boring actually. Mm. Uh but you have to say I mean it, it's it's an experience it, it's a funny thing when I go into the trivia of this you're going to be quite surprised that, that a lot of the people who are in this who are awful I mean the acting in this is really really bad some of the worst we've seen so far I think since we've been covering this show and we've seen some bad movies but the acting in this is really quite appalling and quite a lot of these people ended up going on to do more work you know yeah. including the including the guy who plays the killer so it's, it's quite remarkable it is you know I'll give them credit for the fact that that it, unlike Honeymoon Horror Which of course we're going to get to a bit later Which is more I would say is more of a conventional slasher This one, they, there's no pretense here They don't pretend that, As if they, they want to um, Hide the identity of the killer at all Because they don't We see the killer's face from moment one um, He's just a muscly dude With no charisma Who runs around <laughs> g- Gurning and laughing Maniacally And that's about it really uh, It couple of creative deaths in there, uh, quite difficult to see though, the copy of it we watched was quite dark during a lot of scenes, so there were a couple of um, kill scenes that I couldn't quite make out, one in particular with the broken bottle, as anyway, I'm going on and on and on and on, and I need to give you your um, your chance to pipe in, Tom. but yeah, as a general overview, I didn't like the movie very much, but it, it's hard to ignore the extreme cheese factor of this one, and I have to say that, you know, while I didn't like the movie and I was bored by it, I, I you know... It is a bit of a a cheesy gem in its own way. I think
1: it's. uh, I I would describe this movie as totally misjudged in, you know, many ways. They just misjudge most things. You've got this escaped mental patient who has been, you know, pumping the iron for a few years. And, you know, it is nice that America and they look after their mentally ill by providing them with well equipped gyms and a nutrition program you know cuz this is a a guy who's you know pretty much a world class bodybuilder and yeah. <laughs> and he comes out but okay fair enough you got a big guy and this this is a thing i think they must have just thought let's get a big guy big scary guy well they got a big guy um and he does this ma- maniacal laugh maniacal laugh all the way through it but he just can't pull it off he just can't pull it off <laughs> so you've got him you've got a group of people who i i can barely tell apart and obviously they they look differently but i don't know who any of them are they might mention it but i'm so disinterested in them that it just washes over me who is who they are related to each other, why they're where they are, this, that, and the other. I kind of get that they go going there for Thanksgiving, um, but it's like, okay, we've got this guy. He's always complaining that he's hungry. We've got this woman who can't speak English and just plays the guitar. We've got uh, Mistake, who's just one of the most annoying characters I've oh. ever seen in a slasher movie. Yeah. And uh, they just seem to get everything wrong in this movie pretty much and I don't like it one bit it, it is an experience I think if you get a chance to watch it you should watch it just to sit there and go what the fuck were they thinking you know <laughs> and that, that's the best I can say about it
0: yeah, I mean, that's sort of where, I, where I'm coming from as well. You know, I don't like the movie. Uh, I would, like I say, I was bored by it. You know, it's one of those movies where I'm looking at the time and going, oh, it's just going to finish. You know, it's only about, you know, an hour and 20 minutes or something. It's not very long. But it is one of those things where I'm looking at the um, the progress line on my iPad, which is where I watched it, and I'm like, oh, going I hope it ends soon. <laughs> but the reason I call it a cheesy gem is just because it's so daft. Mm-hmm. And it's so sort of campy, or certainly the killer is, that it... I can totally understand why somebody would look at this and think, Whoa, oh, this is cheesetastic." But it fails in so many areas. I mean, first of all, you mentioned it there, but we've got to talk about mistake. Yeah. And to a slightly lesser degree, the the Maria who's the Latin girl. Two of the most annoying characters that I've seen on a television screen for quite some time. Um I say television screen, I watched it on my iPad. I I wanted to throw my iPad out the window. <laughs> you know. And it's quite an expensive piece of kit, but it really was like Mistake in particular, so he's this guy who runs around, he's got you know face paint on, he looks a bit like a mime artist or like a kiss wannabe. Yeah. He's got an amp on his back <laughs> yeah. and he just runs around playing his guitar or pretending to play his guitar as it were. And it's just so irritating. Mm. And he's one of the last people to die in the movie as well. So you're stuck with him for quite a long time. Just really irritating and annoying. You've got, you know, like I was saying when I wrote the synopsis, you know, Bradley, who's the sort of main guy there, who's the father of Mistake, who's the one who ends up being killed by the uh, car bonnet later on. Mm. Uh, He is, I thought, was, you know, generally the most amiable person there. None of these actors, though, they may have become good later on, some of them. But in this movie... I mean, whether it's the direction, whether it's the script, you know, look, I'm not looking for a cinematic masterpiece by any means or any sort of Oscar-caliber acting, but I mean, this is pretty bottom of the barrel, isn't it?
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, just going back to mistake. you're right, he's got this amp on his back, he runs around playing the guitar, just generally annoying people. I think he's supposed to be comic relief, but he's too annoying yeah. to be funny. Um interestingly looking at the characters or the credits his, own, his only other credit was being in Wonder Woman where he played a mime so I think yeah. that was probably his stock in trades being a mime uh, because he does that, that trick with the ball later on doesn't he the balls for the kid yeah Um. he doesn't show his balls to a kid he, <laughs> he basically does a magic trick with some balls
0: did you watch a different movie it?
1: <laughs> that was a mistake but um, he, he sort of sits there and he, he does this trick. So I think he's probably a mime and they've wanted to have this character in this movie. Um, for some reason, I don't know why anyone would sit there and think this was a good idea. But that's what they've gone with. So they probably got a mime to do it. So that's probably what he is. Um, but he is just so annoying. He runs around cackling like the Joker. um playing his guitar declaring his love for one of the women awful absolutely awful but you know like you say it's a slasher we don't expect oscar caliber acting but as we've said a million times it's when the overall is so bad that we start to focus on these things isn't
0: it Yeah, absolutely. And also, like you were saying there, the mistake was probably intended to be comic relief. Well, the only comic relief that we really get is the killer himself because he's just so daft, you know, and just so sort of over the top and campy and and really, really bad that that's what adds the comic relief to it. But yeah, you're right. There's just so many aspects of this that are just very, very, very poorly done. Uh, You know, especially you know, I found that the the final girl in this, who's named Jennifer, I thought that until really the very end of the movie, her reactions to the things that are happening, there's no emotion at all. And you know, most of her, most of the people she's met that evening, because she's been brought there, she's the the new girlfriend of one of the guys. I can't remember what the names of everybody is, Tom, because no. they're just so sort of paper thin, aren't they? Really, yeah. but uh, she <laughs> she just has no emotion through the whole thing and no reaction to anything until the very end, where suddenly she starts sort of screaming like a you know, screaming like a banshee, it, it, it's very, very poor characters. And I'm the sort of person who, you know, I love a slasher where you do have a couple of strong characters. You know, I always go back to somebody like Shelley, who's the, um, you know, the sort of overweight prankster guy in Friday the 13th part three, who is who is a bit irritating, you know, in the way that mistake might be. But, you know, as you find out just before he dies, you know, he's the one who ends up giving Jason his uh, the iconic hockey mask, actually, because mm. he has it Uh it's, it's sort of has a heart of gold really, but you know, does pranks to, in order to, you know, in order to cover up his own insecurity. Whereas, you know, with a character like mistake, it's just irritating for the sake of it, really, you know? Yeah. yeah. And, uh, we're fortunate though in the, you know, and of course we're going to end up spoiling everything about this movie, folks. So do bear that in mind. Uh, mistake later on in the movie, he does end up being killed a bit too late for my liking, but does end up getting <laughs> electrocuted, um, by his own electric guitar, uh, yep. not you know, not by accident. The killer finds him. Yeah. Uh, so at least he's out of the way. But yeah, it's difficult to know, really, Tom, what to say because this is this is the low point of 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 slasher filmmaking, if you like. You know, post Friday the Thirteenth. I believe. I think this came out in what was it, 1981? Uh, but the same year as uh, Friday the Thirteenth Part Two, wasn't it?
1: I think so. I think oh. so I, you know there's a, there's a few things that stick out to me as being problematic apart from the obvious the The thing is you know let's take Friday the 13th let's take Elm Street let's take Halloween and I know they're the top of the the, the kind of uh, tree when it comes to slashes but with Friday the 13th you know where you are you're in a summer camp and it's very, uh, it's very defined you know on Elm Street you're in Elm Street In uh halloween you're in that street in haddonfield you know that the locations are very well defined where you are where your kids are sort of cornered if you like in this the the how i I just never really got a sense of where they were you know Mm -hmm. It, it was just such a bland location um and you were mentioning before the final girl she's no final girl she's a final girl by default By the fact that she just didn't die till, or well, she just didn't die. At the very, very least, you know, these were terribly drawn characters. But at the very least, the final girl should have something to hook you to her, to make you like her, to make you not want to die. I couldn't give a shit if this girl died or not.
0: Yeah. No character building at all you know mm-hmm. none at all and uh and that makes it very difficult to really i mean i didn't really feel sorry for anybody in this at all you know i didn't think oh it's a shame that person died you know i was quite happy to get rid of all of them and the only reason at the end of the day the the girl even survives the night is because she passes out <laughs> and the killer could the killer can't find her so he's just like oh well just stand outside next to a tree for the night and wait for her to come out so it's um yeah, it's not good. Now we got to talk about we got to talk about the little girl in this. Yeah. Whose name is Angel. Uh, you know, uh although it's funny enough I'm going to tell you a bit of trivia about this little girl a bit later on, but uh it yeah, doesn't really add anything to the story at all. Several times in the movie the characters just leave her to her own devices, including <laughs> allowing her to pick up a massive carving knife. Um, to uh, start uh, chopping away at a turkey. One interesting thing about this movie, so just as an aside, is that it is one of the few horror movies that's set on Thanksgiving. Right. Uh, that, so, that, you know, there's a little bit of a link to some sort of holiday there. Um and they do have a Thanksgiving dinner later on so I suppose you could say it fits into that but anyway we've got this little girl there's a moment in this movie that, that really made me laugh where you've got so almost everybody's been taken out by the killer we'll cover some of those deaths and, and the, the one, the car bonnet one and everything we'll, we'll go back but I've got to talk about this while it's on my mind So you've got Jennifer and Scott that's her boyfriend Jennifer is the final girl in the movie so just, as Tom said only the final girl by default because there's nobody better than her and mm. uh, she is you know cuddling up with angel this little girl and the guy's saying to her you know you you would make such a good mother (laughs) and she's like oh you know yeah you know i find it easy it's a it's a very natural thing to care for a child (laughs) about five minutes later yeah this guy scott's wandering around trying to make sure all the doors are locked and everything the killer gets in somehow and ends up taking scott down and despite her apparently motherly in, in, instincts, she and Scott they race out of that house and they leave that little girl in the house with the killer and bugger her off yeah. <laughs> and 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 Scott decides Scott is you know to his credit is like no no, we should go back in and get her why you wouldn't have thought of that at first I don't know, considering your quote unquote motherly instincts. Mm. Um, but okay, he ends up getting caught by the killer and killed, so now you've got Jennifer left and <laughs> Jennifer just buggers off and leaves that little girl to her own device doesn't give a shit at all, yeah, motherly insects, uh, instincts, my ass. Um and you know, at the end of the movie we find that the little girl wandered out onto the highway and was found by the police and then, you know, in the back of the police car at the end, she, she's cuddling her oh, I'm so glad you're safe, you didn't give a shit <laughs> <laughs> you ran for your life the first moment you could you know so I had to bring that up because that is a hilariously bad character moment, you know.
1: Let's talk about our killer. We've sort of touched on it. This big brute, this muscly guy. The only way you get a physique like that is through hard training, good nutrition. He's been in a mental institution for years. So that must be how he spent his days. It's got to be one of the worst killers I've Ever seen in a slasher movie? He is just so wrong for this. I remember Jake Steinfeld uh, from back in the 80s, I think. Um, I think he was probably bigger in America than he was here as this fitness trainer to the stars. And he's just this big lug of a guy, you know, this big, you know, I come and train with me, i train. You know, he's just totally got no menace in him you know he's just this big dopey guy who says i'll train you. and yeah, he's
0: quite an he's quite an intelligent bloke i mean you know he's got this whole sort of fitness empire yeah. i think you have to be a good businessman for that but yeah he
1: but but you, outwardly the you know if you if you sort of i apologize i'm sure he is a lovely bloke but you know outwardly i think you just kind of see him as this big lug don't you and yeah the the thing is he does this maniacal laugh which is just awful but the one bit that made me perk up and laugh in this film was when he the the dad I think his name was Bradley was it? Yeah. He's poking around under a car bonnet (laughs) and the killer is lurking in the bushes and he's got a knife so you think oh he's going to go over and you know slip the knife between his ribs or cut his throat or whatever and he just Sprints over, jumps like about, you know, 10 foot in, not 10 foot, but he jumps into the air, brings himself down on top of the car bonnet, squashes the guy, and then just fucks off and, you know, runs away. And I just think, I just, it was one of the few times in the film that I, I kind of laughed at and I thought, you know what, if this is, and later on he throws a girl over a car bonnet who, who smacks her head on a rock and dies and I thought you know what if that's going to be this killer's thing that he just like does these crazy you know throw someone over a tree or you know I thought maybe that would be quite fun but unfortunately they're the only two kills that really um, you know gave him any any sort of personality because he's just all over the place isn't he
0: yeah i mean like i say, when he gets into the higher you know the upper registers of that laugh he sounds like spongebob squarepants mm-hmm. you know i'm telling you and i think spongebob squarepants is quite demented as well so i suppose it fits but it there are a couple of like like you say sort of creative deaths in there so you don't get to see very much but uh like i know there was a stabbing in the face with a broken bottle i couldn't really make it out that well just because of the, the version we had it was quite dark mm-hmm. but um I would say the most creative moment is definitely the car bonnet thing. Now, there's a film that I'm actually quite fond of, and it, I would say it's a slasher that's in the sort of middle tier mm. that doesn't get talked about. That gets talked about more than this. Definitely, it's not as obscure. But it's a film called Madman. Oh yeah. And yeah. Uh, yeah, and it's a slasher film that I'm I'm very fond of actually because it and it's got a uh, an infamous scene where a woman is is looking into a car bonnet and the killer jumps on top of the car bonnet while she's looking inside and decapitates her. And it's a, it's a really, really good slasher kill. You know, probably one of the best ones that doesn't get looked at very often. But And it just reminded me of that for some reason. But Madman did it a lot better. I think Madman was released the same year, possibly, as this. Maybe it was 1980. Certainly made around the same time the original Friday the 13th was. But um, it just reminded me of that. But if you want to see sort of a, a slasher film that's, you know, better than this, a little bit more polished, but still sort of cheesy and daft um, Madman is, is a good recommendation a very sort of similar kill to this one but like you say going back to the killer apart from that yeah Jake Steinfeld does not make a, a, a very convincing killer no. I would say you know gurning laughing um, he only really speaks so I think there's once or twice maybe in the whole movie he has a, a line of dialogue not very convincing the guy has made his career really uh, out of being a motivational speaker um, so it's ironic, really, that he barely speaks in this, and when he does, I don't sound very convincing, really. Uh, yeah, not a great film killer. What I've noticed, Tom, is that we're having more fun talking about this one than we had watching it. <laughs>
1: that, that's a good point. It is a good point. And you know what? If uh, Freddie and Jason are top of the tree in terms of slashes, I guess this guy and the guy at a final exam at the bottom, you know, <laughs> mm. they they should have, you know a little team up movie and just bore us all to death because this was boring
0: yeah this reminded me of final exam just in terms of how boring it was actually and funny enough you can you can make another link there which is that final exam also uh, had no particular regard for for trying to uh you know, keep the uh, the killer's identity secret at all. He was just a dude, you know, just a guy who wanted to kill people and never really established it beyond that. And this is the same thing here. He's just an escape mental patient. We see him all the time. Uh we see him lurking around. He's just a big dude and he's just gonna kill people because eh it's just something to do, isn't it? I'm mental and I want to kill people. Yeah.
1: They they do mention he does say something briefly about his mom being a whore or something, you know, he insults mm. his mother in some way and is, it's like okay, is that some sort of thing alluding to that you're damaged because of your mother but you know, it's, it's like a one second line, it's not really uh, elaborated on
0: yeah, we're meant to sort of infer from that that he's got something against women because he does say something like "all oh, women are useless" or, mm. or something like that. So we get it from that. But you know, you're not looking for for development on the killer here, if no. <laughs> because you're not you're not going to get any of it. I I sort of found that the last, I, don't know, I guess maybe the last twenty minutes or or so of it, little bit, and I mean a teensy little bit of tension there. Yeah, yeah. With you know when the killer's sort of trying to get into the house and you don't really know where he is and when he jumps out. And, you know, scares Scott half to death, you know. I thought that was semi, you know, sort of semi-effective. I just couldn't stop laughing, really, when they left that little girl to die. You know, that just <laughs> is... Once I saw that, and especially at the end, when, like I was saying earlier on, when we discovered that the only reason that Jennifer even survives the night is because she hides herself away and then <laughs> passes out. And then the killer, <laughs> you know, the killer just gives up looking for her because he can't find her, and that's the only reason why she survives. And then at the end of the movie, of course, we get the... Um, she emerges from the house hoping that he's gone and he jumps out and scares her and he wants to kill her and the cops come along mm. and uh, you know they see this big guy with blood gushing out of his mouth cuz I guess we didn't say but she had stabbed him in the back the night before mm. with a big big kitchen knife and you know somehow cuz he's so roided up i guess it, it you know did I would imagine it'd be quite difficult to take a guy like that down anyway i remember seeing a video uh, Quite some years ago, where there was this big bodybuilder guy who went on some sort of rampage in America, and they they the cops tried to take him down with a taser, mm. and it, because of these that his body mass, it was incredibly difficult to take the guy down. I would imagine it would be quite. I don't know, stabbing somebody in the back with a with a knife would be livable for as long as it was for him, but yeah, yeah um, I don't
1: know. I mean, and they do say he's you know uh, big on his PCP as well the angel dust kind of thing but again i don't know whether that i guess in the in the moment it makes them not feel pain but He's had that stab wound for a few hours now, hasn't he? But anyway, you know, let's not get caught up on such details.
0: Yeah. Oh. Okay. Um, <laughs> no, you're absolutely right. But so in the end, the cops, you know, they shoot him with a shotgun and everything, and um, he collapses to the floor. He's clearly dead. Mm. And uh, like we say, Jennifer is the only survivor of the film, apart from Angel, the little girl who wandered out onto the highway after being taken care of so well mm. by the uh, the girl, the woman with the motherly instinct. And, uh, of course, as is the case, you know, it's become a bit of a cliche now at the end of horror movies that, well, you think the killer is dead, but, you know, he or she is not actually dead for some reason, you know. They, I mean, at least there was more of a supernatural reason for why Jason and Michael Myers... I mean, OK, it wasn't established until probably later on in, but in both of those series, but there was more of a reason as to why they would get back up again at the end of it. But in this one, you know, he's laying there and all of a sudden he opens his eyes and looks at the camera like oh i'm still here you know ready to uh ready to destroy you with my shitty acting yes it, uh and that's the end of it really
1: yeah it's got to be one of i mean we expect this from slashers don't we but it's got to be one of the worst i've ever seen in terms of that final moment it it was laughable and it's like i pray to god you never make a sequel luckily Obviously, we're, you know, 30 years on now, they're not going to do that, but, um you know, they always thought sequel or they always thought final sort of shock. It wasn't shock. It was laughable, but um oh, what a bad movie. Terrible movie,
0: <laughs> yeah it was, but I had fun talking about it, which is what I wanted, yeah really was it was you know a, a movie that was so sort of laughably bad that we could talk about it now I have to say that you know we covered invasion of the blood farmers on the last show to me it, it this is I think is just as bad as invasion of the blood farmers, although if you can believe it, that film is sort of is made in an even more amateur way, but there is something that's very entertaining about invasion of the blood farmers yeah. I was never bored by it. Um, And the concept of it was so strange, you know, these sort of, you know, druid alien vampire guys, that there was something about that concept that was so sort of original and off the wall, and it was so badly done in an entertaining fashion. This, on the other hand, you know, it's got cheesy, you know, sort of good cheesy moments in it, but generally... Like I think we both said, it's just very boring. I couldn't imagine sitting and watching this again.
1: No, no, I I don't. It's bad, but I don't think it gets itself to that level, doesn't? Where you can say, yeah, it's awful, but I'm just having such a good time laughing at it. There's a couple of moments, but yeah, definitely, it doesn't reach that level at all.
0: Yeah, entertaining moments, but like you say, it doesn't really carry it through the whole thing. And and a killer that is just, you know, I would say, I mean, the killer in uh, the New York Ripper. Which is, you know, a movie that is otherwise, you know, fairly bleak and gory and everything. But the killer in the New York Ripper, uh, speaks like Donald Duck. Yeah. Um, but even that is it, it. It pales in comparison to this guy, the gurning bodybuilder played by Jake Steinfeld. Yeah, not a fan of this one. But like I said when I started, that it is a cheesy gem simply because. See, when I say gem, that implies that it's something that you need to see, and I'm not saying that at all. But there is something about it. You could watch like a review of this on on YouTube or something, or like some clips of it on YouTube, and I think you would enjoy the cheesiness of seeing that of seeing that killer running around. But otherwise, you know, your best to avoid it because I don't. I said Tom and I, you know, we certainly didn't have a very good time with it.
1: No, no, I, you're absolutely right. I think the chat that we've just had about it was more fun than watching it. It it was boring and uh, misjudged. And not very good at all. Uh, but I've had a fun time talking about it, so there is that.
0: Yeah, that's the main thing. Well, Tom, let me give you some trivia, because I'm sure you're dying to know... I can't uh, ...some more information about this. Well, look, you mentioned it before, but Jake Steinfeld, who plays the maniacal laughing killer, unbelievably has gone on to have a very strong career as a bodybuilding and fitness expert, making regular appearances on TV to promote healthy eating and exercise. When I was doing research for this, I actually looked up some clips of him on YouTube. and He's he's quite an intelligent guy. He's obviously built up his own empire. Mm. Um, He also continued to star in TV shows and movies and has even done some voice acting parts uh, this is unbelievable to me. He's done some voice acting parts in films like Pixar's Ratatouille and Studio Ghibli's from Up on Poppy Hill. Studio Ghibli, which is, you know, to me is the sort of gold standard of, of an animated movie. And he starred in his own family comedy series entitled Big Brother Jake from 1990 to 1994, appearing in all 81 episodes of the show. This man had his own sitcom, Tom. Wow. Uh and I think I saw an episode of this many years ago, and I don't know where, whether it was in the UK, whether I saw it in America, but I think I've seen an episode of this. Um, he also has a noteworthy relative, and this is interesting. He's the uncle of Oscar-nominated actress Haley Steinfeld, who first came to prominence as Matty Ross in the Coen Brothers remake of True Grit*. I don't know if you ever saw that, Tom.
1: I haven't. I ha- I'd quite like to see it, but I didn't see it, now
0: no she's really really brilliant I mean one of those roles where I would imagine it would have been like when you first saw um, Jodie Foster mm. uh, and sort of has this otherworldliness and this sort of almost kind of wisdom to her despite being at such a young age she definitely had that mm-hmm. and um, has gone on to star in films like Pitch Perfect 2 and 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 such, so is, uh, you know, climbing up the ranks, as it were. Now, let me tell you about Vanessa Shaw, who plays uh, the shy little girl Angel here. She would also go on to have a strong acting career. She got older with another number of film credits that include appearances in the remake of 310 to Yuma and side effects. She also had a main role as a member of the Carter family in 2006's The Hills Have Eyes remake. So ah. she probably... Yeah, so she probably... Uh, <laughs> Had a look back on this someday when she became a teenager and thought, nope, I've got to do better than this <laughs> <laughs> in life. They left me for dead as she wandered out onto the highway and got herself a better agent and, um, yeah, it became something of a notable, notable actor. And uh, let me tell you about Don Edmonds who played Bradley here, the one who died uh, crushed by the car bonnet. Uh, he would go on to act in more films and TV shows through the 80s and 90s and also had a strong career in exploitation films. He directed the two infamous cult classics Ilsa, She-Wolf of the SS and its sequel Ilsa, Harem Keeper of the Oil Sheiks released in 75 and 76 respectively. He works as a producer on many projects including True Romance and helped Quentin Tarantino as the, uh, as the young upstart he was. Um, in beginning his career as a filmmaker. He sadly passed away in 2009 at the age of 71. Can you believe it, Tom? Some of the people who were absolutely rubbish in this film actually ended up, you know, having quite fruitful careers, really.
1: I think they must have all got together afterwards and said, let us <laughs> never speak of this again and just went on with their lives
0: absolutely, well actor Charles Hoyce who plays Wayne, the beer obsessed man who wants to get into the panties of the resident Spanish girl also went on to a fruitful acting career and is known for appearances in films like Field of Dreams and most recently Southpaw which is Kurt Sutter's new film that stars uh, Jake Gyllenhaal I think Kurt Sutter is the man behind the show uh, Sons of Anarchy All right. uh, that's the one Yeah, uh, director Natty Pinya. Natty Penis uh, was largely (laughs) was largely inactive as a director after Home Sweet Home you can understand why Mm -hmm. Um, he didn't direct another project until uh, 2009 when he helmed a documentary about the environment and wind turbines it sounds very interesting uh, entitled They're Not Green and finally writer Thomas Bush Penis and Bush did not go on to write any other screenplays uh, you can again you can understand why but he did act as an assistant sound editor on Sam Raimi's classic Evil Dead 2 from 1987 so quite a lot of these people i didn't cover everybody here but quite a lot of these people seem to have gone on to had more success apart from the director who only has done one thing yeah since his film was released and several decades after and most of the people seem to sort of gone on to do better things yeah uh,
1: the mind boggles you know i guess a lot of people have these these uh project in their closet don't they you know even George Clooney's got Attack of the Killer Tomatoes you know Retain of the Killer Tomatoes that sort of thing so yeah it's, uh, it's very interesting but um, anyway shall we move on from um, this classic project from Peanut and Bush and, <laughs> and have a look at Honeymoon Horror
0: <laughs> well we should Tom but before we do that you've jumped the gun there no. because we need, to, we need to tell people that no it's very important information Tom we need to tell people where can they get this movie YouTube? Go on YouTube. Right, so now we... So now let me tell you about a film called Honeymoon Horror. Uh, also known as Honeymoon, Tom. Uh, released in 1982. Directed by Harry Preston. And written by L.L. L. Carney and Harry Preston. I'm going to read the synopsis to you right now. So, Frank lives on an island with his wife Elaine. They own cabins on the island with the location primarily used by new couples honeymooning. Frank kisses Elaine goodbye one night and prepares to set off to the mainland in a boat. Seizing her opportunity and thinking Frank has already left, she runs over to another cabin where Frank's friend Vic lives and proceeds to kiss him. They've clearly been having an affair for quite some time. Needing cigarettes, Frank returns to the house to find Elaine missing and quickly realises that she's in the house with Vic. He bursts in and the two fight until Elaine kills him with a heavy object. His fall starts a fire and Elaine elects to let him burn with the cabin, escaping with her lover. Several years pass by and the cabins have reopened. Elaine has now married Vic and the two currently run the island retreat, though hope to build it up enough to put it on the market so that they can finally leave. There's fighting and trouble in the marriage, but Elaine is determined to stay until the retreat is good enough to sell. A number of newlywed couples are planning on visiting and staying overnight on the island, and the first guests to turn up are a couple of young girls who have arrived early to decorate some of the cabins in honour of them. However, things almost immediately go awry when one of the girls finds the body of the maid dead in a wardrobe. The girls are soon dispatched in grisly ways by an unseen killer. The couples turn up in a boat and things seem relatively normal with nobody being aware of the missing girls. But the night gets bloodier and bloodier as the mysterious killer spies on and hunts members of the group, forcing Elaine and Vic to act as bodies begin turning up. Suspicion immediately falls on Joe, the mute handyman who has worked on the island for a number of years, and Vic and one of the young men ties him up and locks him away. However, is Joe really the one doing it, or could there be someone else running around the island? Perhaps even Elaine's old husband Frank, seeking revenge, Well, she and Vic are about to find out in a bloody battle to the death.
3: Vic, I want to leave. Leave the island? Tonight.
0: wish we could no
3: tomorrow as soon as those kids get out of here you were right about this place
2: now you're talking baby
3: we don't have to live here we can hire a couple to run the place till I get a buyer he was a son of a bitch he deserved to die You don't know the half of it from the things he did to me. He would have killed you, Vic. He would have
4: killed both of us.
0: So, Tom, when we and I go on our honeymoon together, uh, I hope nothing like this happens, but uh, why don't you tell me what you thought of honeymoon horror? Just a subtle hint there, Tom, if you want to propose to me any day. I'm fine. I'm good for it.
1: Okay, Honeymoon horror. Hurtful. Um... (laughs) You know, I gotta, I gotta give it some, um, some credit for having the fastest la- creation of a, a slasher uh, ever. Really, you know, Elaine has an affair with Vic, Frank comes back, finds Vic with Elaine, Frank gets killed, becomes a slasher. You know, it's all there in the first two minutes of the movie. So fair enough. At least this killer has got. A backstory which is something the final exam and you know uh our friend in home sweet home barely had one so you know fair play to that i kind of had a, a bit of goodwill towards this in the beginning it, it it's obviously very cheap very low rent but it starts off okay and i thought you know what this is going to be cheap and shitty but it might be kind of fun but then it gets boring as hell for a long time and then it ends and that's it really that's all i can really say it's i liked it better than home sweet home but it's it's boring um and fun at times but only very briefly i can't really give it any better than that what about you
0: I sort of disagree with you slightly. Uh, I think this is better than Home Sweet Home. Mm-hmm. They're both pretty, they're both pretty rubbish, really, yeah. and they're both absolutely you know low grade bottom of the barrel. But uh, I was really bored by this. I, mean, I think one of the big problems with this is that the killer takes so long to strike mm-hmm. a lot of the time, especially in the second half of the movie. I mean, he's running around all over the place. You gave it away there anyway. I mean, it's really no particular surprise that you know Frank is the killer. Who didn't really die was obviously burned, you know, to, to almost be unrecognizable, but survived the night. They give it away fairly early on when you can see that his hand is quite clearly burnt. So it must be Frank. Yeah. Uh, I just think that that there is some there's some good stuff in here. You know, I think if it just been if there was a bit more polish, I mean, you know, very low production values. Um, which is one of the big problems with it, you know. You can say t- the funny thing is that a lot of the people who worked on this movie ended up doing nothing else. And I think the acting in this movie, there's some really ropey stuff in there. Don't get me wrong, especially mm. the sheriff. We've got to talk about him. But um, a couple of the actors I thought were better generally than the ones in Home Sweet Home. Yeah. And yet they were they, they, those. Those are the ones who ended up going on to do to do better work than this. Most of these guys did nothing else. But it it is. I I agree with you in that you know, certainly I think the first half of the movie is stronger. Mm. I sort of liked it when we didn't really know who... we. we there was more of a... a they, they were trying to sort of keep the identity of the killer a bit secret during the first sort of quarter of it or so, and I liked that more than later on when we knew, OK, well, I can see that his hand is burnt, so obviously we know it's Frank. You've already given it away, you know. If they hadn't done that, I think it could have been more of a mystery towards the end, because I was initially thinking... Because I'm always suspicious when I watch a movie where uh the the killer is is supposed to be mysterious you're not supposed to know their identity all right, until right near the end of it uh, I, I'm always suspicious of everybody, <laughs> and I'm like, and so when I saw the, the the bumbling comedy cops at the beginning, and I was looking at the not the sheriff, the you know the the big guy, but the other guy. Guy, I was like, at one point they sort of framed him in a way where I was like, oh, I bet that's the guy. I bet he's going to be the killer, and we think it's Frank, but it's actually him. And then of course, not too long after the movie starts, we see, okay, well the guy's hand is, hand is burnt, and the cops are on the main island, so they, he can't it can't possibly have been him. So it must be Frank. Um, that's the kind of thing I do Tom when I watch these movies I'm a bit like Sherlock Holmes I sit there and try to work out who the killer is And um, but I think they're a sort of good I like the concept of it I think at least it, you know, it's way more of a conventional slasher than Home Sweet Home is
1: I think it, it is definitely better formed we've got a better sense of location where we are this sort of honeymoon retreat even though the, the, the honeymoon couples are, are quite bland and interchangeable they're the honeymoon couples earlier on we've got the sorority girls we've got our two main characters you know Vic and Elaine so we we know who our people are whereas in home sweet home it was like who are these people and um, I, and I think where it fell down for me was that I wish they just went with it That Frank is you know Frank is the killer because we have a couple of kills early on, one of them's very—they go for being quite brutal and and yeah. bloody, but it's slightly comical, but in a fun way. I, I don't mind that at all. Um, I just wish they'd kind of went with Show and Frank a bit more, you know, th- because it couldn't do suspense well. So just get them out there, get them killing people. You know what I mean? There was just a stretch there where it just took too long. Yeah, to really get Frank out here and killing people, because they'd done a makeup job on him, okay, and it, it wasn't the best, but it was fine and it was fun. So just use it, and I, and I think that's where it fell down for me.
0: Yeah, it's hard to disagree with you. You know, I think, I think one of the things I do like is that we get there's sort of an interesting dynamic here which we don't often get in a slasher movie really, is we always you know, we tend to get if you look at Friday the thirteenth, you know, we have a character like Alice who is the you know, the sort of the typical final girl kind of character. We don't really have that here. What we have is Elaine and Vic, who are our main characters, who are not very likable people. Because at the end of the day, Elaine was cheating on Frank right at the beginning and she allowed him to you know to die in the cabin um they were sort of quite selfish about it you could tell that Vic was you know felt had a bit more regret about it than she did but so they're not very nice people really and they did it so that they could be together um i i found that that interesting that that concept of because then you're like well do i sort of care about these people whether they live or die and i'm not really sure if i did i mean Vic is Vic's quite a sleazy guy, isn't he? I mean, yeah. he's lecherous. And he reminds me of a young Burt Reynolds, actually. He had a bit <laughs> of that sort of quality to him, that grin, you know, when young girls come in and he's sort of, you know, all leery about them. Um, but it, like you say, it's it's it really falls on... on you've got to make, make use of what you have. And obviously they didn't have very much money when they were making this. So I think, like you say, maybe making the... Since you're not really trying to hide the identity of the killer, certainly not after the first you know, 20, 25 minutes or so, you may as well get him out there. Let's have a look at him and let's see him, you know, taking people down. The the death scenes in this, like you say, they're trying for brutal. The problem is they're shot very, very quickly. Yeah. It seems quite obvious to me that we're either watching a cut version or my, my feeling is that they very purposely cut them down in order to, you know, to make sure that they weren't. Because at, at this time, I would imagine the MPAA... Was beginning to come in and really, you know, clamp down on, on gore in horror movies, sadly, and uh, I would imagine that they cut them very quickly like that because there's there's one sort of kill early on that I thought could have been more effective if we'd seen more of it, and that was when, you know, the girl who's laying laying out on the boat at night, yeah, and um, you know the killer comes in, I think he's got an axe and he chops her arm off. That's right. And you you know and you see the and you see the arm sort of fall off to the side. And it's like, okay. That could have been quite cool if we'd seen just a little bit more of that. All the deaths in this though are, are like i say you know cut very very quickly and um, what's funny though is that and this is quite different for a slasher movie is that most of the main kids survive <laughs> a couple of them die but most of them manage to get away really it's, it's a, a lot of this is sort of centered on elaine and vic and you have to really how invested you're going to be i think when you take everything else out of it is whether you you happen to whether you can get behind those characters Even if you don't like them much Whether you can sort of Dig with that And I thought that was quite an interesting the Dynamic The two of them there uh, Like you say though In the second half of the movie The killer There's a lot of him Just running around Looking at things <laughs> And it just is like Do something man yeah. You know they t- It takes too long to strike And so when something happens I was like Yeah something's actually happening now You know It's not just the, all of them Running around And um but I, I have to say that you said right at the very beginning you've got some goodwill towards that. That's the way I felt as well. I could tell that more so they were trying here to, to put something good together. Uh, there are some big flaws to it. I mean, do do we want to talk about more of the, the main plot or do we want to talk about the, the bumbling comedy cops here? Let
1: Let's take a step back for a minute because uh-huh. early on we have, I guess, the first kill... And Correct me if I'm wrong, is there's a maid on the island, isn't there? A maid, <laughs> a maid with a terrible British oh, accent. You know, you'll probably oh, do it better than me, but it's, it's uh, call cool,
0: blimey, governor. That's giving me the willies, old chum. That's right, this place gives me the willies,
1: oh, <laughs> and yeah. then. she's dead in the cupboard and there's no lead up to it at all you know what I mean it's like we don't even know that there's a killer out there yet and all of a sudden someone opens the door and she's dead in the cupboard um, yeah, but that... I
0: thought it was a prank. You know, like you get prank. People always play pranks in these early 80's slasher movies. I thought it was a prank at first because that's the sort of thing you would see. You know, yeah, uh, one of the girls or something would have left like an old, uh, a fake body or something in there, would have put makeup on her face, and then she'd be like, ha ha ha, ha surprise! But it wasn't. The killer legitimately took the maid out. Well,
1: that's it because it, it was so early on, and there'd been absolutely no build up. Well, you know, maybe there'd been a little. I, I can't remember. But there'd been nothing to really say, oh, there's a killer out there. It's just like, okay, I'll open this door. Oh, someone's dead in there. And the the maid was dead. And then we had, you know, the the sort of sorority girl laying next to the boat, which is maybe the best killer of the movie where he chops her arm off and stuff. And, again, goodwill, not the best effects in the world, but, okay, we're in that 80s bloody rubber slasher mode. And I was happy with that, you know and then you mentioned in your synopsis that it was several years later i think it was actually i'm i'm happy to stand corrected because when she's showing the people around the island these honeymoon couples who've arrived to have their nice little honeymoon on the island she says she tells them the story of how her husband burned to death on the island a year earlier so oh
0: right okay See, i read on imdb that it was five years later but um you know, but
1: then I, yeah. I, I, you know I, I'm happy to stand corrected, but I think she said a year ago, which is just what you want to tell your guests when they come on holiday, <laughs> that your husband died in a fire a year earlier.
0: Yeah, no, I'm going to agree with you because I don't want to argue over this movie. You know, <laughs> this is this is a honeymoon horror, you know, so I'm going to agree with you, yeah.
1: Anyway, go on. Well, that's it initially, you know. I mean, plot-wise, there's the setup. There's a long stretch where I think nothing much happens. Um I think he tries to create a bit of suspense but it, it's not the best and then Frank comes out so we'll get to the end section later but I think you wanted to say something about the comedy cops didn't you
0: <laughs> well yeah there are two bumbling comedy cops in this their scenes look like they've been taken from a completely different movie completely different I mean they're like You know, it's like Dukes of Hazard or something. It Mm. looks like it's come out of an old seventies comedy, and you've got this sheriff in there, this big guy who is, who may be the worst actor I've ever seen, Uh, certainly up there, as um, and. (laughs) I'm going to tell you something about this guy you won't believe a little bit later on but um and it just is and their scenes go on forever and it's him complaining about oh i haven't got enough cops we don't have enough people here just moaning and moaning and moaning and then we get go back to the island again and we see the actual horror story playing out and the music they use during the scenes with this guy <laughs> where it's all like like it's really it's and it seems like I mean, I almost—I don't want to spoil... We're going to talk about the actual ending of, of the... I almost feel like they're two separate movies, really, but the end of the horror part of the movie, but the the actual proper ending of this movie is about another eight minutes or so of the cops again mm. just complaining and then coming to the island and seeing sort of the aftermath of everything that's happened there. And then, <laughs> you know, the film finishes with, like, this happy, happy-go-lucky song. <laughs> and it's like... Are you, are you actually serious? Like, you know, you had a sort of a chance to craft quite a suspenseful horror movie and you totally ruined it. What on earth they were thinking with the scenes with the cops. I mean, it, you know, in in my opinion, the film should have ended, you know, on the island with, with yeah. some of the stuff that happens on the end there. And just, you know, it, in a, ended in a very Friday the 13th kind of way. But this was I thought that it took especially the ending I thought it took all the impact out of it.
1: It completely did. You've got this. I mean, we'll we'll go back to the killing bit on the on the island in a sec. But you've got this old, uh, this old fat cop, just sort of you know, probably never done any real police work in his life,
0: or acting. Yeah, or acting.
1: <laughs> um, and there's this woman who's trying to find out what's going on. She's terrible as well. Really bad. Yeah. Just shouting at him. And and at one point he's like, yeah, the girl's going to be in hospital for a while.
2: How long she going to be in hospital for?
1: <laughs> I don't know, you know. <laughs> and it's just awful dialogue between these two people. And then you're right, this other couple turn up. Where's this honeymoon island? And he starts finding us going, get out of here! You don't want to go there. <laughs> and it's just like I've never seen a horror movie end in this way. Okay, you you, you know it's not the best horror movie in the world anyway, but they usually end on this this sort of, ooh, the killer might be still out there, now, or something. And this ends like a, a screwball 80s comedy.
0: Yeah, it's absolutely bizarre. I mean, it it is... It's one of those things where it makes a bad film even worse, you know, like the film itself would have been, you know, I thought was passably OK, you know, nothing I would watch again. But while I was watching, it, I was like, OK, and this is, you know, I like this a bit more than Home Sweet Home. It's got its problems and its flaws. But all the stuff with the comedy cops, I think, you know, I think takes it down. You know, right to the bottom of that barrel, Tom. You know, I think it could have been an obscure... Certainly not a classic by any means, but an obscure sort of cheesy bit of fun mm-hmm. that could have been worth watching. Maybe if they'd improved, tightened it up in a few areas here and there, it would have been, you know, sort of a decent obscure, you know, little cheesy gem. But the the scenes with the cops, I thought, were just you know and like i say especially the ending the ending's the time when you really want the horror of that situation to have the most impact and they totally took that away from you and it's it's comical in a, you know in that way but it, it but not quite in the way they wanted i think and th- especially the the song during the end credits is like it really it really is like like we were watching a screwball comedy That's through right. the whole thing yeah. and it was like i can't believe i'm watching i can't believe i just watched a horror movie that ends like this you know <laughs>
1: I know, I know. Well, why don't we take a step back to the, the the final sort of stretch on the island, then? Because from memory, it starts with one of the characters, and I'm not even going to try and remember the names. But there's there's three couples who are having their honeymoons on the island, and then we have Elaine and Vic, who are the proprietors, the owners of this, you know, this resort, if you like. And one of them, one of the couples, finds a body on the beach, and they come to speak to Vic and Elaine, and they say, we found a body on the beach. And I don't know whether you picked up on this, but Elaine says to Vic, they found a bottle on the beach. And I'm sure she says, they found a bottle on the beach.
0: It's interesting you say this. I didn't pick up on it, but there was another time in the movie. Now, I... I... I don't, I'm not sure if I want to go back and watch it again just to see this, but there was a time where Vic speaks to Elaine and he calls her Emily. Really? <laughs> yeah, I think so. I think so. So I think, you know, I don't doubt you whatsoever. <laughs> she probably did say that and they left it in.
1: So so I think from then on, it, it ramps up to a degree. You know, the killer's running around and by this point... <laughs>
4: they found a bottle on the beach.
1: <laughs> I actually so... rewound it and listened to it a couple of times and I'm sure she says... And he's like, we found a body on the beach. And she's like, Vic, they found a bottle on the beach. (laughs) (laughs) So, so anyway, this is, this is our final stretch, you know, we see that it's Frank out there. I can't remember at what point, but at some point we see that he's, he's covered in bands, bands that are made of papier-mâché, you know, but they made an effort to make him look like a a horror killer. Um, And he starts, you know, running around, often people, and there's a kill in a shower, which has got to be one of the most, well, the least impactful kills I've ever seen in a horror movie. Yeah. He sort of taps her with an axe slightly, and then she's covered in blood, you know?
0: Yeah, and then when uh, her boyfriend discovers her again, she's breathing. So. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um. But, yeah, this is our last stretch with all, all the kills and stuff, so what do you think of this
0: bit? Well, you know, at least something was happening. I mean, yeah. the, the thing is, there is a lot of bluster going on in the second half of this movie where people just running around, going, we're in danger. We're in danger. I know, but we can see the killer because sometimes they do quite a decent shot of just his eyes. Yeah. So I think it's a sort of decent shot, but it just takes forever to do anything. That's the problem. Cause you would think that the, the person he would be after mainly would be Elaine because she's the one who allowed him to, to burn to death. Mm. Uh, but he takes his sweet time. I mean, he tries to wipe everybody else out first, you know, except his wife and, and her lover. And, um, but eventually he comes in, like you say, and he's got an axe. And I thought it was a, a fairly decent axe to the head. He basically, yeah, you know, he axes Elaine in the head.
1: Yeah, that that is probably... I, I think I said the other one was the best kill in the movie before, but that is probably the best kill in a movie.
0: Yeah, we don't see the actual sort of impact shot, if I remember rightly. It's more that you see the aftermath of it with the axe stuck in her head. But I thought that was sort of quite good. Mm. And then, you know, Vic comes in and um I think one of the boys has a shotgun and he shoots... Uh, Frank and Frank goes down and, the, the, but there was a hilarious moment to this that really did make me laugh. Where where Frank is basically he's supposed to be dead. I mean, he's laying on the ground dead. <laughs> and um, and Vic comes in and, he you know, obviously he's seen Elaine is dead and he's devastated and he's sort of kneeling down by her and kissing her hand. And all of a sudden Vic just gets up as if he, you know, as if he was getting ready for for bed and forgot to put his watch on the dresser. <laughs> and he just gets up, throws a, throws a knife at Vic and then dies. Yeah. And it, but the, it's the way that he actually gets back up. He literally gets up as if, you know, it's like... It's... <sighs> It's almost like Michael Myers getting up, you know, it's like, oh, oh sorry, they forgot to put my watch on the dresser, you know, throws a knife and then lays down and finally dies. It is, um, you know, at least things ramped up a bit towards the end, which I liked.
1: Again, in the talking about this one, I, I kind of raises it slightly in my mind that if I had the time, I might I might give it another watch just to, you know, just to cement it a bit more in my mind, because it, it wasn't awful like honeymoon horror. I would never watch that again. But home, home, sweet home. You sorry, mean. home, sweet home. Yeah. <laughs> See, they blur, blur. <laughs> But it it was sort of like someone trying to ape a Friday the Thirteenth movie and getting a lot of it wrong. But you know they've had a good go and and stuff like that. So I don't have bad will towards it. You know what I mean? It it, it was a bad movie. Let's not get let's not mince words, but. But, you know, I had a bit of good goodwill towards it in that they were they were trying something and some bits worked, some bits didn't.
0: Yeah. Hard to disagree with you on that. It is you know, not a good movie at all. And like we say, I mean, it's low grade bottom of the barrel stuff, but I do think they tried to sort of build up a fairly decent story. Unlike Home Sweet Home, where it's just, you know, here's a laughing, maniacal gurning killer. Uh, let's just have him running around and picking off random people who have no no characters, no personalities, as such. Whereas this one, I think, tried a little bit more. You know, set up that backstory at the very beginning of it, and unfortunately, just doesn't quite. Like I say, you need a bit of finesse, I think, when you're making a slash, and you need to have the beats down. It doesn't quite have the beats down, yeah. And that's unfortunate. But it it, it you know, I walked away from it thinking this isn't. I walked away from 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 that particular scene. I, I really feel that the film the film should have ended on that scene. Mm. When he kills Elaine, then he kills Vic, and they end there. Yeah. Um, uh, but I ha- I can't pretend that the ending of it didn't make didn't make it lose a few points because it really was like wow. I mean, you just totally took the tone of this, went back to the comedy cops, and you sort of ruined it. I think mm. ruined the ending of it. But it, you know, I can't feel bad about this one. It is bad, but it but they were trying, and uh, I have to give them credit for that. It, it, it I mean, it's a very obscure film. This is one where that has not even officially appeared on a DVD. You know, you can only get it on VHS or, like yourself, Tom, I'm sure you'll talk about it in a minute, a, a bootleg DVD. Mm. Um, but it is, you know, very rare and obscure. I'm sort of glad I saw it, really. Uh, not one I ever would have, you know, looked for, really, prior to, you know, unless I was doing this show, really. And uh, I'm glad I saw it. But it, yeah, it fails in, in a lot of areas. But I sort of had a, had a bit of... I wasn't as bored by it as you as you were, but... um you know it is it, it's it's fine it's possibly okay so some potential there i think that wasn't quite realized
1: yeah i think you know when we look at that question that is it is it that easy to make a slasher movie just get a bunch of people just get a killer just get a location and i think you you know you touched it on it that you need some finesse and i think these two movies show that you know people call Friday the 13th movies trash and you know to a degree they are but there is that level of finesse even though they, they are a bit low rent that these just don't have so you know it it's not just about getting all those elements together there has got to be something more to it and I think if nothing else the these show that
0: okay well let me read you out some trivia Tom I know you're always dying to hear it I love the trivia um... <laughs> Now, this is this is interesting, Tom. The only cast member who would go on to have any success after this film is Bill Petchy, who plays the rather unconvincing comedy sheriff here. Uh, his success was not in acting, however. This was his only acting role. I can't imagine why, Tom. But uh, as a camera operator and cinematographer, he would go on to film scenes for movies such as Moonwalker, the Michael Jackson film, True mm-hmm. Romance and Alaska. So yeah, he's a man who probably realised after he made this He probably watched himself back and thought Yeah, um, this is not really cut out for this But I sure do like running cameras I think I'll do that instead mm. And, uh, you know, seemed to have some success uh, This was the only acting role for almost all of the actors here The exception being Bob Wagner who played Vic Who did have a prior acting role some ten years Uh, before in a film called No Drums No Bugles. He has no listed credits after appearing in Honeymoon Horror. So that is interesting to me that I think some of the acting in this is better than what we see in Home Sweet Home and yet many of the actors here went on to do nothing else as far as we can tell. Perhaps they worked in theatre or something but certainly... As far as film projects go, this was you know, the last, the first and last thing they ever did. Uh, both the director, Harry Preston, and the writer, L. L. Carney, did not go on to do any more film work, this being their one and only listed project.
1: Wow. You know, it's interesting. I, I wonder whether someday, because uh, like you said earlier, you can only get this on VHS. I bought it on DVD off a website, but it was a bootleg. Um is someone going to pick this up one day? And you know, we we see stuff getting cleaned up and, and put on DVD. I wonder if anyone ever will, but I don't know, man. It's it's been a while, hasn't it?
0: I mean, it would surprise me if they didn't. But then you would have thought that you know, a, a company—I can't really think there's so many different companies out there. But you would have thought a company would have picked it up on DVD at the very least by now. Yeah. Maybe it's just one of those films that's just so obscure that people it's never really sort of caught on with people it seems like from what i was reading online that that generally the oh, i think somebody on a forum or something i, I didn't really look into it very much but someone in a forum was saying that they contacted a, um the original dis- distributor of this and they were saying that they just wouldn't be able to make enough back in sales to warrant putting it on dvd that's i think that's what i've read right um they just don't feel that this this is a film that would particularly sell and you know, I, I guess I can understand that.
1: I can see that. I I could see it being on one of those box sets of you know, um, you know, 100 movies for twenty or thirty quid or something. You know what I mean? Yeah. All all those sort of public domain films with a, a couple of others thrown in.
0: So I guess it's fair to say, really, that if you want a copy of this, um, you're just gonna have to hunt for it and either pick it up on VHS or find, you know, a bootleg DVD like Tom did yeah yeah and you know i I don't advocate
1: piracy but at the end of the day what are you going to do
0: i do anyway (laughs) um, anyway tom i think we're done with those so there you go two slashes bottom of the barrel low-grade stuff i think Mm. uh we're going to carry on this theme on next week's episode but never mind about that for now we still got more of the show to do i think it's time for us to do some feedback Right, so first up, Tom, we have some audio from our good friend David Cicola, of course, who is husband of Brandy. Uh, they listen to our show; they're very loyal to us. They've been friends of yours for quite a while, and they're new friends to me.
1: Good, good, and they're also the presenters of the Dark Corner podcast at uh, Gentleman's Grand House Records.
0: Yeah, now this particular piece of audio, um, David recorded for us. Uh, If you remember, those of you listening, I went on quite a bit of a rant on the last episode and uh, talked about enthusiasm and sort of directing that at a particular person. And, um, you know, Brandy sent me a very nice message, just basically saying that, you know, she was sort of cheering, hooping and hollering when she was listening to it and uh, and that she and and David had listened to it together. And they sort of... uh, Dave had this interesting reaction to it and wanted to sort of make this very intellectual point about enthusiasm and i really i really like what he has to say here so let, let's play this and then we'll we'll discuss that further so here's the audio from dave
3: hey there chris tom it's dj evil dave from over at the dark corner podcast right here on Gentleman's great house records with a few lines about enthusiasm now i minored in philosophy in my college days and for some time, enthusiasm was a derogatory term, primarily because it is irrational. Going back to the original Greek, enthusiasm basically means being possessed by a god. Thu, Theo, therefore its primary meaning is to be filled with a holy spirit, which according to philosophers like Voltaire, is very much contrary to irrational argument. So in regards to deontology, that is, the belief in the existence of God, an enthusiast's argument is that God exists because one feels that God exists. There is no factual basis to support the existence of God, only an emotional or spiritual feeling. It's only in the recent centuries that the meaning of enthusiasm has grown to be more positive, primarily under Puritan use, especially American, where enthusiasm has come to mean excitement or ardor, but even its modern use, it's still irrational. I must admit, after your previous show, I'm with Chris on this one, in that for an honest review of the films under the Section 3 list, to be genuine, you must follow your personal thoughts. And responses to whatever the film is and you do address a film's cultural or historical impact though that does not necessarily make it a good film good and bad in regards to art is purely subjective it's in the eye of the beholder there are no facts when it comes to whether a film is good or bad and if you are a subjectivist you could argue whether there are facts at all For as Nietzsche said, there are no facts, only the opinion of facts. Even those things we can measure objectively are interpreted subjectively. So in my opinion, the best way you can produce your show is to continue to be genuine in your personal subjective opinions on films. For enthusiasm, whether in its classic meaning or its more modern terms, cannot be faked. So with that said, I just want to tell you to keep doing what you do as you do it. And we fans will love you for it. Thanks, Tom and Chris. Bye.
1: Thank you, Dave. That was some, uh, a very supportive message from Dave Jacola from the Dark Corner podcast. Now, you know... It- If you listen to the last episode, you will know what that's about. And we we don't want to drag this on or make a big deal out of it because this is a show about having fun talking about movies. We don't get too serious. But, you know, last episode, someone had said something on Facebook that we both took offence at. And, you know, while Chris might have been a bit more animated than me about it, I just want to reiterate that I completely support his comments and completely agree with them the the person who made those comments on facebook uh after listening to that episode put another uh, response on there and was quite apologetic to a degree um but then made a sort of closing comment that if we are putting opinions out there ourselves then we should expect disagreement to come back to us as well it's a two way street so they then subsequently deleted that message and all the original messages that our, our sort of uh, conversation was about in the first place and I think okay well they've, they've put that out there saying you know we should expect disagreement to come back but I think at the end of the day that was the whole point of your, your rant to call it that in the first place we have never ever said that ours is the only opinion you know we welcome disagreement we welcome people given different opinions and that you know that's the kind of fun of the show if you like you know what i mean but it's all about how you do it you know we're two guys who le- who lead busy lives who do a show for other people's enjoyments. We don't get we don't get paid for it. We actually end up losing money because of it with the hosting and, and so on. So so we do this with a lot of goodwill. And the person who wrote those comments in the first place disagreed with our assessment of the Hills have Eyes. Now, if his response had been, you know what guys, I actually like the Hills have Eyes and this is why, then that would have in the end of it, you know what I mean? There never would have been that rant from Chris in the last episode, and that is our whole point, you know, we do this with goodwill towards everyone else and if people want to come back to us with uh, different opinions on the film, with the same goodwill that we put out there then that's great, you know, we enjoy that and we love that It's when people come to us with things that are tonally quite different and come to us with you know, um, a tone that that sort of is a bit demeaning and degrading, then that's where we have an issue. And that's what it was all about. So I don't want any listeners to feel that they can't disagree with us because that was the whole point.
0: Yeah, look, uh, let's look at it this way. If you break my rant on last the last episode down into its component parts, what you're going to find there is me basically saying that we totally... We invite people to disagree with us when they have a differing point of view. However, if you do it in a condescending way, which is how Tom and I felt that that particular person's um, comments came across, uh, that is where we have to draw the line. Now, Tom and I are in our 30s. We're not teenagers anymore. and We haven't got time to fight with people on the internet, really, at the end of the day. You know, we like like Tom was saying We lead very busy lives And we have things to do And we do this show based on passion We have to, you know At the end of the day We're not like one of the big You know, really, really big horror podcasts I'm sure Which, you know, get tons and tons and tons of listeners You know, I mean We haven't had an iTunes review since June We, You know, it's like trying to get blood out of a stone You know, and even though those reviews are You know, they support us and they help us At the end of the day We just have to realise That you have to do this for passion Because the you know, the fruits that you get from it, really, uh, they're not, you know... For people like us, anyway, they don't sort of tend to come in very much. I think you know, my opinion has always been I love hearing other people's views, but come to us in good spirits about it. You know, differ with us in a way that isn't you talking to us like we're naughty school children. That's how I felt that person was talking to us, so that's why I reacted the way I did. You know, so to say, you know, well, if you put out, you put an opinion out, then you should, be, you should expect that somebody will differ... T- uh, or differ in, in their opinion. Um, we but we know that you know. I'm not an idiot. I understand that that is what happens, and I enjoy. Like I say, let me let me repeat that. I enjoy reading other people's views and opinions. Do you want to know how many things I disagree with, um, or, or things that my girlfriend and I disagree on? But we always have. You know, if we have a debate about something, we always do it in a sort of in an interesting intellectual and, you know, good spirited way to where we're not insulting each other or she, I'm not talking down to her and she's not talking down to me. And that's the difference to me. That's where we have to draw the line, really. So I'm not going to go off on a big rant like I did on the last episode. And I feel like Tom summed, summed a lot of that up very, very well. At the end of the day, we, you know, please feel free. If you feel differently about you know both of these movies we've covered now, uh or you know perhaps um, you know future one or some of the ones back in the past. You are very welcome to disagree with us and tell us why you disagree. But if you do it in a way where it sounds like you're genuinely miffed at us because we didn't say the things that you wanted us to say, that's where we, we we've drawn the line, you know. And it's a shame that we've probably lost a listener as a result of that. But I, you know, like like I, like I said um, like I said before, we we have to draw the line somewhere, and that's where I draw it. But I do have to say that I really enjoyed listening to Dave's feedback. A really sort of intellectual interest. I mean, he's a very smart man, Dave. Um, Not, not that I didn't think he was before, but especially listening to that. And it was interesting that what I had to say, which was really just sort of cobbled together on the fly on the last episode, the rant that I went on um, was because I felt very passionate about that particular point. And for him to then have a sort of intellectual response to that, I thought was, was really fantastic. It was lovely to hear from him and lovely to hear from Brandy as well. And, and um, yeah, I'm really, really glad that they're uh, they're a part of the Gentleman's Grindhouse Records network as well because uh, they're good people to have around.
1: Absolutely, good friends, good people, and uh, thank you, Dave, appreciate it, and Brandy as well. All right, so hopefully that's put that whole situation to bed. Now, this is a podcast about having fun. You know, some of the movies are crap, some of them are good. It doesn't matter. We're we're hoping to have a bit of fun with it. So, anyway, shall we move on with some? Uh, some more feedback about the films that we've been discussing tonight.
0: We've got an email from Mike Hudson, who is mm. Thunder Mike, who helped us out. Uh, he he uh, furnished us with a copy of Invasion of the Blood Farmers on the last episode. Uh, nice guy. Mm. And um, he sent us an email for the very first time, which is awesome. So he says, Hey guys, hope you're both doing well. Thought I would send sending some feedback for the first time as I've been listening since the start and not got around to it yet, especially since these are two films I have never even heard of, let alone seen. Same here. Yeah absolutely So Home Sweet Home This got off to such a promising start With the two opening death scenes How the cops didn't pull the killer over With blood all over his windscreen <laughs> After hitting the old lady I will never know That's very true uh, I was thinking that this could be A fun slasher movie And while there were bits I did like Ultimately I just found it a bit boring Which is actually annoying Because it came so close To being a night in With mates and beer movie mm. I found the characters really unlikable, except for Jennifer and Angel, really. And I was looking forward to them all being killed after about ten after about the first ten minutes. The dialogue was really bad, but I did find myself laughing at it, and the B plot of the peas kept me going during the first twenty or so minutes until that death scene. I was sat watching this by myself and jumped and shouted yes when the killer elbow <laughs> dropped <laughs> when the killer elbow dropped the bonnet of the car and I ran to the fridge and grabbed a beer. I was ready to watch for some crazy death scenes, but but it didn't come. The fact that I could barely see what was happening during the stuff at night really didn't help and ended up getting a bit bored by it. Even the crazy guitarist, mime guy, being electrocuted, couldn't bring it back. Although I did enjoy him trying to appease the killer by asking if he wanted a song or to see some magic. <laughs> it's true, we didn't mention that. Hmm. The final showdown between the killer, Jennifer, and her boyfriend was good, and I liked that despite the killer having tried to kill the boyfriend, Jennifer struggled with the fact that she had stabbed him. A lot of films brush over that as if it's nothing. I also enjoyed how the killer was just some crazy guy with a little backstory. We also don't need to know everything about them and why they're doing it. I mean, I do agree with that um, to some extent, but I do like a bit of backstory now. Just something, you know. Mm. Uh, Honeymoon Horror was for me a much better film. I thought that this was a more effective slasher, but it did struggle a bit for an identity. The parts with the sheriff John W. Pepper type character just kept pulling out what was at times a reasonably enjoyable slasher. The film did a decent job of raising the tension towards the last half hour, and the score helped with this, which I really enjoyed. I thought sort of throbbing sounds... Uh, that is the best way I can describe it, were particularly effective. The main set of characters were pretty likeable, except, of course, the main couple who were just dickheads. <laughs> and I don't know how that one guy expected to become Mr. America, Miss Mr. America with only one hour of working out a day. I have read Arnie's autobiography and I know how much work he put in. I'm starting to ramble now, so I will sign off by saying I did enjoy Honeymoon Horror more, but I think just some of the crazy moments of Home Sweet Home makes it more memorable. I've already shared that bonnet death scene to some of my friends. I probably won't watch either again, but it was a decent double bill of films for an evening. Anyway, keep up the great show. Uh, Great show anyway keep up the great work with the show and thanks for all the hard work you put in it is always a highlight of my week cheers mike oh and i totally agree with what you said about invasion of the blood farmers it definitely fits into that so bad it is good category of films like plan nine i just really enjoyed it and i've watched it a couple of times already good on you mike (laughs) (laughs) there you go see i told you if i ever if i ever found invasion of the blood farmers in like an old dvd bin or something for two quid i would pick it up and watch it again you know it's 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 so bad, but so sort of entertainingly bad that I, I can sort of see myself doing that as well.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's it's funny, again, he mentioned about, you know, who was left at the end of Honeymoon Horror, and it was just a load of dudes, wasn't it? Just a load of guys. There was no final girl, just like, you know, all the girls seemed to get off, and there was a couple of guys there, a couple with moustaches, just all standing round. <laughs> oh, so yeah. We was...
0: forgot to mention the moustache work. In both movies, there were a couple of... Uh... Tasty 80s moustaches there. Yeah,
1: we've let our our listeners down on that one. But sorry, guys, we won't let it happen again.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Okay, Tom, why don't you take us into the next bit of feedback we have. It's a a piece of audio, isn't it, from an old friend?
1: From an old friend. We haven't heard from him for a couple of episodes, but that's fine. He's a busy man. But uh, the fact that he took some time to watch these two, I think he deserves a medal. So let's listen to our old friend, Jim Moon.
2: Hello, gentlemen. Ah, home sweet home and honeymoon horror. Now, I wasn't familiar before with either of these two early 80s slashers, and now, having watched them, I know bloody well why. Dear me. (laughs) The slasher movie certainly came a long way from such um, ropey beginnings. Both movies take premises that would be later better exploited by other movies, and then completely manage to drop the ball into the gutter, and then just sit watching as it rolls through some dog turds, and finally, right down the drain. I'm not sure which one I think is lousier. Probably Honeymoon Horror. Although, on its plus side, I did like the impressively burned Frank. Although, I was equally somewhat discombobulated by the sudden outbreaks of disco at inopportune moments. Now, I have nothing against disco, it was just... A bit weird, some of the scenes they choose to illustrate with some very dated, and presumably copyright-free, funky tunes. I think on the whole, although it is equally inept, I had more fun with Home Sweet Home. Partly because, early on, I decided that the maniac-pumped-up killer must surely be the loved child of Lou Ferrigno and Andre the Giant. And it's not every slasher movie that has a member of the KISS army wandering around with his own mobile amplifier. On one hand, this character was so annoying, I couldn't wait to see him get bumped off. In fact, actually, that's true of all the characters in uh, both films. They were definitely slashers where you're going, go on, go on, kill the idiots, kill them. However, when our scary white-faced buffoon finally got electrocuted, I was actually a bit sorry. Really, they should have made him the final goon and maybe gone for an axe versus axe duel at the end. Ah, well, you can always dream. I did wonder how on earth these two films ended up on the section three of the list as really there's nothing terribly outrageous in them other than the sheer clumsiness of their making. You know, sometimes when I look over these lists of banned films I do sometimes wonder whether some titles got put on the list purely to protect hapless video shop patrons from some truly, truly crappy films. Gentlemen, I salute you on your mission trolling the depths of the Section 3 list. You are truly heroes for undertaking this venture and don't let anyone tell you otherwise.
1: All right, I think... um... Yeah, we're more or less on the same page, aren't we? You know, he, he he talks about how them, you know, they come a long way over time. The slasher movie, but these are pretty much the ones from the gutter, which they are, you know. Yeah. And you know, he says he thinks uh, honeymoon horror is lousier, but I would actually go with home sweet home. But at the end of the day, yeah. it's you know, there's not really that much in it, is there?
0: No, I, mean, I think because. Uh maybe you know i would hazard a guess that because there are some campier elements to home sweet home that maybe he had more fun with that yeah. um but he certainly he said he did uh he thinks that the the killer is a love child of Lou Ferrigno and andre the giant <laughs> <laughs> and um he thought the uh like us he thought the kiss wannabe was annoying but he felt sorry when he died i didn't i was quite happy to see mistake go it was a mistake to put him in the bloody movie um but he—that that is an interesting thing. He wonders why these films ended up on the Section 3 list. And I wonder that too because there's really nothing here in either film, I would say, that, that you think would qualify as a video nasty, really.
1: No, no, we've seen much worse on the Section 3 list. Uh, these are pretty tame by anyone's standards, I would imagine. But um, thanks, Jim. Always good to hear from you. And um, as we know, Jim is a very prolific podcaster. We've said in the past one of the best he he's one of those people who takes podcasting to the next level you know and uh he has actually got a patreon at the moment um to help fund his podcast to help support it you know keep the equipment going and i think his ultimate goal possibly is to get to the point where he can do it full time and you know what if anyone deserves that it's jim he he is one of the best so um yeah i don't have the link to hand as to to what his patreon is but if you go onto patreon and look for hypnagoria i'm sure you will find it
0: yeah and do help him out i mean he does about 30 podcasts a week <laughs> you know he's it's kind of guy who's just a you know, a content machine. And I always, you know, unfortunately I've sort of fallen quite behind. I'm subscribed to everything he does, but I've just fallen quite behind on, um, you know, on a lot of what he does. And I I need to sort of catch up with a lot of it, but there's a lot of really cool stuff in there, coverage of old movies, new movies. And uh, yeah, you can't go far wrong getting into Jim Moon. Just make sure you come back to us afterwards. Yeah. Yeah.
1: All right. Thanks, Jim. And uh, next we have an email from... He sent some in last time, so shall I give this one a read? Please do. Morning, guys. As per Chris's request to present my feedback in a business manner, following the bullet point format of last time, please find attached my honeymoon horror feedback as a PowerPoint presentation. No. (laughs) No. Only kidding. Honeymoon Horror from 1982 for me was a muddled-up affair and after searching online about the background behind the movie which I guess you will touch upon. It explains why. Ooh, did we touch upon that?
0: No, we didn't. I mean, it's interesting he says that. You know, I don't go too deep because I haven't got time to do it, but I couldn't find anything about the background of the movie from what I look for. So, <laughs> you know, I'm guessing what he's saying there is, based on the next paragraph that you're going to read, it seems like, you know, well, read, read it anyway and we can we can comment on it in a minute. But
1: For the most part, it is a poorly made, although serious slasher, that comprises of bad acting disposable characters and kill scenes edited together with choppy jump cuts <laughs> choppy jump, cuts. <laughs> choppy jump cuts. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a funny <laughs> sentence however all this is juxtaposed with scenes involving a sheriff and his deputy which looked <laughs> like they'd been shot by a different director for a different movie and insert it later to pad out the runtime, which seems to be the case.
0: Are you sure you're not on bloody PC <laughs> paint today, Tom? You giggly fool. Sorry, <laughs>
1: choppy jump <junk> cuts.
0: <laughs> choppy jump cuts. That's what we should have called this show. Instead of the Strange and Deadly show, we should have called it choppy jump cuts.
1: <laughs> oh, come on, get it together. All right. Inserting them changed the tone and feel of the movie in parts, particularly... The ending by adding a sense of comic relief and bizarre soundtrack that was totally different from anything else smudge if you have some information that says these were inserted later then please elaborate because uh that'd be quite interesting if if these were inserted into it later on i i, I don't know um the two characters kind of reminded me of roscoe and cletus from the dukes of Hazzard. Reading online, there is apparently a director's cut that removes their scenes completely. Where, you know? Yeah. You you can only get it on, like, an old VHS. I mean, where would this director's cut exist? uh, you oh, know, no. if you can uh, find it, then let us know and we won't watch it and review it. They're it also- might
0: be one of those f- weirdly sort of fabled things like uh, yeah. what was the film we were talking about a while back that had a, 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 the um, the Hills Have Eyes? Wes Craven had a you know a much bloodier, you know, sort of gorier cut of that movie, which ended up being, um, you know, was sort of lost somewhere in the ether, I think. I think it was the, the Hills Have Eyes. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, carry on.
1: Uh, there are so many other bad points i could touch upon with this movie but i'll keep it short and just mention one more the dialogue there are times it feels like a carry-on film with the double entendres and into innu- innuendo and others where it goes randomly off track like with the overuse of the term retard yeah they do say that quite a bit oh. after all of the bad things i've just said about it i kind of liked it well i wasn't seeing that i didn't see that coming um, it had a certain charm an opinion i'm guessing you'll disagree with no we don't disagree to be honest no? it, it was sort of almost there in a, in a lot of ways with me and you know chris liked it a bit better than me so so yeah and he says keep up the good the good work smudge
0: yeah, I only liked it a little bit better than you, you know, let's not <laughs> get that twisted. I mean, I sort of, I would say that I wasn't quite as bored by it as you, but I mean, I think we both, we see all the bad things that are in it, Yeah. but I just think it you know, has a little bit of, like like Smod says, it's just got a certain charm to it that... You know, I think it was an improvement over Home Sweet Home. I'm guessing that he didn't. Uh, no, in fact, we've got a, a a bit that we didn't read out here anyway because it didn't make sense. But I think he was gonna review. He was gonna uh, send us an email about Home Sweet Home as well, and it hadn't arrived for him. Mm. Um, he was actually going to buy that movie. Good luck! Um, <laughs> but thanks very much, Martin. Nice to hear from you. Second episode in a row for him, I believe.
1: Good so. man. Good man.
0: That's brilliant. It's always nice to hear from, you know, people who've been listening for a while but have started writing in. We'd love more of that for sure. Now, we've got some audio, Tom. Our last piece of audio from, uh, well, an old mate. He finally could be bothered to send some bloody feedback in, couldn't he? It's old <laughs> Gore Blimey. Gore uh, let's bl- Yeah, that's right. Let's the man who practically nicked my name, my, uh, my old internet nickname, Gore Boy. He was definitely influenced by me. Yeah. Without a doubt. Right, so here's some audio from... Uh,
4: from gore <laughs> Hi guys gore Blimey here that's gore Blimey, not gore boy on twitter as at double agent 73. Just wanted to say I agree with all your comments about invasion of the blood farmers. Not surprisingly I really like that film. Gloriously inept and unintentionally funny and how can anyone not enjoy a film featuring alien druid vampires who spray paint their eyebrows silver. My favourite part's the enormous dog that takes up half a double bed, who gets attacked by one of the vampires, and he sucks out so much blood the dog deflates to the size of a fluffy blood-stained mop head, and then seems to get reincarnated as a poodle thing at the end. There's the climactic scene, with everyone on a hilltop flailing and waving their arms, like pans people off their faces on acid, and best of all, the wonderfully filmed kiss sequence, Woman puckers up and moves into the camera lens. Man puckers up and moves into the camera lens. Camera pulls away and reveals druid vampire chewing a mouthful of dog. Superb stuff. Anyway, I had a chance to watch Home Sweet Home and here are the notes I made. Well, we have a serial killer who's addicted to PCP and laughs like a comedy witch. Obviously, the mental asylum he escaped from had a very well-equipped gym. Either that or he's smuggling a load of balloon animals under his t-shirt. We know from the outset that he's really bad, because he runs over an old lady crossing the road. Though, to be honest, I was more interested in why such a doddery old granny would be walking around in really high heels. We have a cutesy little girl who adds absolutely nothing to the plot. We also have her brother, who I think is meant to look like a Kiss fan, but actually just looks like Marcel Marceau, the mime artist. And I admit, I was quite disappointed he didn't do that trapped in an invisible box thing. He spends the whole time on screen with a guitar round his neck, even when he's running and hiding from the killer. But more impressively, he's able to walk around playing it loudly without being plugged into the electric or an amp. I think he's meant to be the comic relief, going by the awkwardly unfunny one-liners and the silent movie-style mugging. But I just found him really irritating. The rest of the family characters I struggled with. They're all a bit samey, unmemorable and hard to tell apart, and it's quite hard to work out who's who and how they're connected. Some unremarkable man says to some unremarkable woman, as, he, as she sits down with a child, "'Jennifer, I never knew you'd make such a good mother.' "'Neither did I,' she says, but it feels so natural to care for a child.' And then the killer arrives and they run off, abandoning the child, who later gets picked up by the police wandering in the highway. By the way, talking to the child, it seems the actress went on to appear in quite a big number of films, including the Hills Have Eyes remake from 2006. Anyway, by the hour point, the film seems to run out of steam a bit. There's long, slow sequences that are meant to be tense, but they just felt drawn out and boring. And the dramatic climax sequence just didn't feel very exciting to me. And the very final surprise shot is almost embarrassingly predictable and cliched. The deaths aren't terrible, but aren't very special either. The carbonic killing could have been pretty good if the killer hadn't been squawking like a cartoon chicken as he slammed it down. Most of the characters are quite dull and interchangeable. There's nothing really new here. It's not well lit, so some scenes are a struggle to see what's happening. And the Incredible Hulk look-alike killer with his cackly laugh is laughably silly. Let's just say the enormous thing on the dining room table isn't the only turkey here. I'd be very surprised if this movie ever scared anyone. But I have to be honest, I quite liked it. It isn't quite on the same level of ridiculousness as Invasion of the Blood Farmers but it still has a kind of daft charm. I'd probably watch it again. Anyway, that's my two pennyworth. Keep up the great work, guys. Bye for now. OK, Gore, thank you very
0: much indeed. Uh, well, first of all, he uh, agrees with our views on Invasion of the Blood Farmers. Uh, he he said in there, a particular line I liked, uh, how can anyone not like a film where alien druid vampires spray paint their eyebrows silver? <laughs> and, um, you know... Well, I find that quite difficult. difficult point to disagree with, really.
1: Mm. It's uh, And I always like the way he starts his audio feedback, that it's Gore Blimey and not Gore Boy, because if he didn't, I would get the, to- the two of you totally mixed up, so thank you for that.
0: Yeah, definitely. He just wants to be me, and that's what it is. He's just envious. Uh, so he only watched Home Sweet Home. He didn't watch Honeymoon Horror. Um, thinks the killer laughs like a comedy witch. Um, like I said I sort of I mean he does but I sort of view it as as a bit more Spongebob when he gets into the higher registers Mm. don't know why I thought of it that way it just sort of made sense to me um wonders why the old woman uh he runs over is wearing high heels which I never noticed so that's you know up a detail I don't think either of us noticed no, no. so he mentions here something that I talked about as well which is Jennifer saying she's a natural mother but then she runs off and leaves the child in the house with the killer I mean it is a massive oversight on the part of I don't know the I was going to say the writer only uh, Mr Bush of course wrote this mm-hmm. and uh, Mr Penis directed it <laughs> <laughs> you know I couldn't resist that. Um, but it, yeah that is, a, that is one of the bits that made me laugh the most in that film
1: it was it, it was just a st- stupid bit of dialogue anyway I think they were trying to add a bit of character to these these two characterless people in there, but yeah anyway
0: yeah and then they threw it away like about five minutes later you know? <laughs> uh, he wasn't fond of the climates but he would watch the film again I mean that's what I find, find sort of interesting really is for some of the feedback we got apart from maybe Jim Moon it seems like for the most part, the the, the, the people who uh, wrote in about this, they seem to sort of find a bit of something sort of cheesy and charming about Home Sweet Home. I mean, it's not something that I would watch again, personally.
1: No, no, that's it. It's funny, people seem to slate it and then say, but I kind of liked it, um, which is fair enough, but uh, it's not where I am particularly with it.
0: Okay, so not long now, folks, but we've still got a few little bits of feedback left. It's time to say aloha, or aloha, rather, to Mr. Rob Maloha. Mm -hmm. And he says, aloha, Chris and Tom. Well, what a shocker last episode. Fancy changing your viewing order? Oh, and the little rant which wasn't half as ranty as I expected. Really? (laughs) (laughs) Tom, you listened to that rant about 20 times. I think it was pretty ranty. A little bit. Uh, yeah, it was well-founded, and, well and I'm glad I could be used as a reference point for a differing opinion. Long may expressing your own views continue. What he's talking about changing the viewing order there, folks, by the way, is we, we're going to cover some zombie films um, instead of this one. And we decided to push the zombie episode down further in the schedule because um, it was a little bit closer to the last one we did. So that's what he means by that. Uh, you picked some pretty obscure slashes this week, and it's easy to see why they stayed so obscure, as they don't add anything new to the genre. Neither film is as terribly made as Blood Farmers, although honeymoon horror had its moments. The woman in the shop was clearly reading her lines, and I nearly fell over laughing when the English man started talking. God me, governor! <laughs> and what was the point of the two cops? Is it obligatory to have a comedy cop side story in a rural American horror? Seems like it. Uh, it felt like the film came in 20 minutes too short, and they added the cops to flesh. It. They added the cops to flesh it out. The other problem was that most of the characters were pretty unlikable. The honeymoon couples were bearable stereotypes, but I didn't really care what happened to them. The sorority girls were too wooden to believe in, and Vic and Elaine, quite frankly, deserved each other. There was also no real mystery as to who the killer was, even though the film heavy-handedly tried to convince you it was the poor handyman. The way all the characters talked about him was quite shocking. By the end, I felt like I should be cheering on the killer.
3: Hmm.
0: I'm probably going to be alone in my opinion here. Uh, I think you are Rob but I quite like the characters <laughs> in the Home Sweet Home. The uh, the house uh, was full of quirky misfits felt quite real even though some of the characters were far fetched and I actually cared about them as they were being picked off. My goodness. Wow. You are an interesting and unique man, Mr. (laughs) Hulk. The killer worked for me, too. No deception as to his origins or who's doing the killing. Just a drugged-up, muscle-bound psycho. Okay, so it felt like they were being stalked by Lou Ferrigno, 70s Hulk, without the green makeup, but that in itself is pretty scary. I also have to say, folks, um, just as a slight aside, Lou Ferrigno is a horrible man. Um, If you you look up uh, many convention stories of people who have met him, he is not a very nice man, including my own girlfriend who met him at a convention and he was horrible. So um, I think Lou Ferrigno himself is actually pretty scary, even when he hasn't got the makeup on. Um, I'm ashamed to admit that one moment made me jump, which doesn't happen often. Uh, it was towards the end when they were trying to get the little girl to go to another room and the Hulk jumped out. I watched the moment again and I think it was the actual fear of the girl as she clearly knew what was about to happen and genuinely didn't want to walk down the corridor. Poor kid. Out of these films, I could certainly see myself watching Home Sweet Home again. They both lacked in originality and bloodshed, but I quite like the people, killer, and setting of Home Sweet Home. Keep up the good work. Cheers, Rob. And that's, uh, he's on Twitter, at Rob's Lip, L-I-B. So, yeah, Rob actually really seemed to like Home Sweet Home. Wow. Uh, uh, now, look, look here, folks. This is when somebody has an opinion that differs to ours, and because he's not being condescending but passionate about it, it's totally fine. Um, I just wanted to, you know, point that out as an example of you know a sort of good, differing opinion to our own because yeah, Tom and I we we you know didn't care for this movie at all. Rob happened to really like it. Yeah, yeah, I have to say the characters made no real impression on me, but they did on Rob.
1: Mm. And he said they were quite realistic in their way. So, Rob, say hello to the mime with an electric guitar who hangs around your house, and uh,
0: you know. Yep. Yep, and the woman, the uh, of course, the natural mother who decides to leave the uh, child in the house with the killer and run off and save her own life.
1: Yeah, say hello to them both. Thanks, both. Well, thanks for your feedback, Rob. Always <laughs> yeah, appreciate it. Yeah, thanks, Rob.
0: Yeah, he always sends in you know a good lengthy email and. Um, is somebody who's a big fan of film, you know, like we we always say about him, he's always posting about video nasties, he's going through all the nasties, you poor sod, Mm. (laughs) so good luck to you Rob, and uh, yeah, hope that you write in on the next one, we've got one final piece of feedback here, this is from Facebook, we don't cover Facebook comments very often, uh, but this is somebody who I think is a loyal listener, and I don't, like I said on the last episode, when I was doing Miran, I don't have anything to do with the Facebook side of things, I just uh, am not really a Facebook guy, but uh, yeah, what can you tell us about this one?
1: Well, this is from uh, Amanda Reese. Amanda Reese, I don't know. Tell us how to pronounce your name, Amanda. I'm sorry for getting it so wrong. But um, she just gave us a quick bit of feedback after the last episode. And she said, Love this episode. I think you talked me into checking out Invasion of the Blood Farmers. Amanda, get some of your friends together. Get some booze in, if that's what you're into, and just enjoy it. I think you'll dig it. A yeah, uh, bit of PCP. Yeah, and then go out and kill a load of people. Years ago, when I lived in LA, a revival film house was supposed to screen Farmers uh, with Barn of the Naked Dead. <laughs> I, uh, go on.
0: <laughs> so No, no, i just say I just love the title, Barn of the Naked Dead.
1: <laughs> I brought my friend along thinking she would get a kick out of it. But when we got there, they told us the print for Farmers was a mess so they pulled out their reels of Fulci's Gates of Hell. Ooh. My friend, who is a horror softie, watched the whole film between the fingers covering her eyes, but she enjoyed it, and Barn as well, because it's awesome. <laughs> anyway, Farmers has always eluded me, but it sounds like a lot
0: of fun. Well, a little secret, Amanda. It was on YouTube. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And can I just say, Tom, can I interject here? And I think you're going to agree with me. Fulci's Gates of Hell... One of my favourite films. City of the Living Dead, as it's also known. Mm-hmm. And um, much better than these these two films. <laughs> and Invasion of the Blood Farmers. <laughs> big favourite of ours, I know.
1: Yeah, yeah. I'm looking forward to the upcoming Slasher podcasts. And I'm a big fan of Prom Night. I have a feeling I love it a bit more than you guys. I think I remember you both saying you went huge Slasher fanatics. You know, I think where that might have come from is Chris Brown sent in some feedback once where he said... He wasn't a big fan of slashes, so maybe she's getting us confused with him
0: yeah no we are we're both I mean I like I was saying earlier, I've dedicated you know a couple of years of my life to just tracking down slashes and so no, i'm a I'm a big fan of them
1: mm. I think when all is revealed, the whole thing is just so tragic. It's one of those movies where the killer's motives really work and add a little weight to the film. plus I love Wendy oh she's talking about prom night you know what I've never seen prom night. Um. Mm-hmm. Uh. So yeah, I don't know what any of that is alluding to, but I look forward to checking it out next time. And I sh- do.
0: I've got the whole box set um, of Prom Night and all its sequels.
1: Well, so have I. I've just never ever watched it.
0: <laughs> oh dear. Okay.
1: And she says, "And oh my God, Home Sweet Home, insanity at its best." Okay, uh, that's all. Just wanted to say I love the show, and keep it up. Well, thank you, Amanda.
0: Insanity is worst, you mean? (laughs) (laughs) But she's obviously a big fan of that. That's great. So we heard from somebody else who's new, Mm -hmm. and um, or when I say somebody who's just written in for the first time? But uh, I think has been a fan of the show for for a while. So that's brilliant. And uh, yeah, she actually saw a screening of. uh, She actually saw a screening of of Invasion of the Blood Farmers. That's uh, that's amazing to me. That you know such an obscure film. You know.
1: Well, it was planned, wasn't it? Um, You know, maybe we can get Chris Brown to do one of his screenings. You know that he does here in Liverpool and do uh Invasion of the Blood Farmers and just see the cinema go out of business because no one wants to go yeah. and watch it.
0: But I'll tell you what though, it sounds getting pulling out their reels of Forty Gates of Hell sounds bloody great to me. I'd love to see that film on the big screen. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. OK, so thank you very much, Amanda. Thank you to everybody who wrote in or sent audio feedback. If you want to do so, you want to do the same as they did, you can, of course, email us at feedback at strangeanddeadly.com. Uh, if you want to send us audio feedback, you can certainly do. Just send us an MP3 file, ideally. Try not to make it over four minutes. If you can sort of cap it at about four minutes, that would be great. Uh, but, yeah, so do send us feedback. Of course, you can find us on uh, Twitter at twitter.com forward slash strange deadly. No and in there. Tom, where can they find you?
1: I'm on Twitter at GrandHouseTom.
0: Yeah, and I'm on Twitter at The Gore Boy. You can also find me on Instagram at Instagram.com forward slash TheChrisClayton. I just basically mostly post stuff on their new releases. I've gotten things like that. i bought a bunch of horror films lately. I bought some from the Shameless uh, Film Sale that was on recently. A couple of Gialli that I've never seen before and I can't remember any of the names of. I think uh, Who Saw Her Die is one. My Dear Killer is another. And Night Train Murders. There you go. So I bought a bunch of stuff recently you can see photos of all that stuff not sure how exciting it is to just see somebody you know taking a picture of the box of something but there you go if you <laughs> want to see it you can you can follow me there and uh tom i wanted to at this point talk about a friend of ours a friend of the show mr chris ward he has mm-hmm. a new podcast that he does with a friend of his uh, what can you tell us about that
1: well it's with a, a gentleman on the other side of the pond called myron schmidt and they are. They've only got one episode out so far, but they're looking at the franchise side of horror. Um, something that we're both quite into, but we kind of shied away from with our own podcasting, isn't it? Because uh-huh. we didn't want to just be covering Friday the 13th and so on. But let's make it clear that's just our personal preference. It's not that. We mind other people doing it. In fact, we really enjoy other people doing it. Um, and in their first episode, they look at Demons 1 and 2. Nice. Uh, yeah, absolutely. So uh, I've listened to it. It was a good time. And uh, yeah, so it's called Ancient Slumber, and you can find it on iTunes.
0: Yeah, I haven't listened to it yet, but Demons 1 and 2, two of my very favorites. Mm. Um, so I can't wait to uh, yeah listen to it. And I love the name Ancient Slumber just a great name isn't it really yeah 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 so do check that out and that folks is the end of the show but of course we need to tell you what's going to be on the next episode now just to let you know unfortunately uh well fortunately in that i get to see family but i've got uh, some family flying in next week so i won't be able to do the scheduled the next scheduled show fortnight from now so it's going to be the week after uh and uh tom why don't you tell Uh, everybody who's listening, what the next episode is going to be about. We're continuing with the slasher theme, aren't we?
1: We are. We are climbing a rung on the slasher ladder, hopefully, Um, with, like I said, Prom Night and also The Prowler. And I think that was called Rosemary's Killer originally, but no one calls it Rosemary's Killer now. No. Um, So, yeah, a couple of sort of more middle ground slashes. So hopefully a bit better than, than this week's ones. But, yeah, that's what we'll be looking at
0: yeah so continuing with the slasher theme really really looking forward to doing that looking forward to revisiting prom night as i haven't seen it for quite some time and um uh, maybe i don't know i don't think you're gonna have time to watch all the sequels tom but maybe i'll if i can remember anything about them i'll uh, you know maybe discuss some of the sequels just very briefly um, yeah that'd be good that. Yeah, because they're sort of they're quite interesting. So that's it, folks. So as I said, look out for the next episode to be a week after you would normally hear it. And uh, until then, thank you very much for listening. You know, if you can leave us a review or rating on iTunes, that would be great. Help support the show. And uh, until the next episode, I've been Chris Clayton. And I'm Tom Elliott. And we'll see you soon. Bye for now. Bye.